And we're back. The Duran Show. Yes, that's right. We changed up everything. I decided to start it off. For everybody who's freaking out, don't worry. How's it going, guys? We have Matt and Marcus. How's it going? Going well. Good evening. It's going. <laughs> all right, all right. That's enough with that. Uh, we got an exciting episode coming up. I'm I'm emceeing this uh, episode because um, of our lineup tonight. Um, I was not able to attend a specific tournament, but Matt and Marcus both went to Nashville and they attended a tournament. And it was uh, how many points, guys? Seven hundred and fifty. Seven fifty, and it was uh, five rounds, two days. Correct. Yep. That's that's a full legit tournament. I'm really jealous. But uh, we'll be getting some bat reps from that, some analysis, and then later on we'll be uh, kind of talking about um, something that's really cool for me is uh, reassessing in mid game in an intense uh, competitive game of uh, when when to go for the max VPs and when to reassess and you know pick your losses. So uh, we're starting out. Um, so this tournament was over in Nashville, right? Okay. And who yeah, was so hosting? Was hosted... Go, Go ahead, Marcus. No, I was going to say it was hosted by the Nashville group. Uh, I had to remind myself what the Facebook page is the Nashville MS... MESBG Fellowship Group. Um, they're pretty active, they post a lot. Uh, Austin was the one that actually sponsored the event, slash emceed the event, tournament organizer. Uh, yeah. Very I cool. think they do it. It's an, and it's their annual March on the Music City event that they've done for several years in a row now. Oh, perfect. Well, I'm glad they were able to do it again. Uh, how many people were able to attend? 16, right, Matt? No, we, we wound up getting 18 in the event. Oh. Okay. Very cool. That's a good size. Yeah, it was good a good size. turnout. Um, where was the, what was the location at? Was it a, a pub or something? Uh, it was actually in a hotel. They rented out uh, like part of the dining room area, so it was a giant, giant room. Oh, nice! Lots of space. Almost, yeah, almost like a conference room. So basically, you had just a bunch of tables spread out around the the open space. Yeah, very um, cool. Probably in normal in normal circumstances, you could have easily and comfortably doubled or tripled the amount of tables. Uh, so yeah. Makes sense. All right. So um, I guess the first thing I'd like to get into um, now that we've got the setting and everything is what you guys were bringing. Because obviously 750, I don't know if about you guys, but 750 is kind of an odd point levels. I don't actually play at 750 a lot. Most of my games are at like 600, 800. Um, but, uh, oh, look at that. we got some lists already popping up. So this All looks right. like Matt's. All right. Marcus, you better uh, get your Hold stuff on. Let ready. Hold on. Let me text my list. Tell me text my list to myself so I can pull it up. Keep going, okay. Matt. Okay. Matt, go ahead and bring us through this. All right, so I'm going to start this by giving myself credit for being a man of my word. It was the last <laughs> tournament of the year, and I stayed <laughs> true to my commitment in spite of what happened at the last tournament. I did versus. Let, let's uh, set the stage, too, because the last tournament we went to over in North Carolina, Matt walked literally out of the out of the brewery, and he said, I am not running Corsairs to the next event. I am ever. going to run. Ever. I'm pretty sure I, I heard not, ever. Yes, he's like, I am done. 
And sure enough, like Corsairs and said, I said, we love each other, but we're taking a break. Yes. <laughs> taking and, a break. <laughs> and over the course of that break, Matt was sending list after list about Erebor dwarves, Iron Hills, even uh, like uh, Mirkwoods, all these things he was sending. And then what does he do the week before? He says, I submitted and it's final. And he submitted Corsairs. <laughs> <laughs> Corsairs. But, but. We have a healthy little twist to it. It's allied with Serpent Horde. Ah. So here, here's the breakdown. Uh, Warband. I had four Warbands. Of course, my leader, Dalamir, Big Bad Dalamir. And he brought with him uh, nine Corsairs with shield, eight Corsairs with spear. Warband number two, a Bosun. Uh, Bosun brought, uh, well, the Bosun had a spear. And he brought with him. Three Corsairs with shield, and two Corsairs with spear and shield. Warband number three, a captain with a crossbow. He brought with him 12 Arbalesters. So you see my major change here, Arbalesters, instead of sprinkling them throughout the other warband, we've got yep. one warband with 13 total crossbows. Warband number four, and here's where it gets spicy. Suladan on armored horse. He brought with him six serpent riders and five Parajum Raiders with Warspear. Very nice. My first question right off the bat, who was your army leader? Because Suladan is also a hero of legend. Yes, Dalamir was my leader. Okay, so you kept Dalamir because he's got the three fate. He sneaks around and he throws his smoke bombs probably, and you want Suladan in there? Correct, correct. Very cool. That allows me to kind of be a little more aggressive with Suladan on the charge, not worry so much if he dies, blah, blah, blah. Even though I kind of play him like a chicken. Well, he's got that six-inch banner. You don't want that to die, but um, that's very, very interesting. I definitely agree. I kind of like with with uh, with crossbows. I like just that full solid block warband because if you get a piece of terrain that you can plop them on, you get all of them right there. They're already set and ready. Or if you put them on the flank and say just aerial denial, I I agree with that. That's very cool. Yeah, I I have decided that I am not a good enough player to run the boot scootin' boogie format of four stay eight move it just doesn't work out for me they wind up not shooting very well so mm. running very a gun good. line very nice very nice marcus do you have your list ready yeah, all right let's see did it that work yes it did okay so three warbands much smaller i ran i think i was talking about this i ran the durin version so my first time ever playing with the durin model uh durin king's champion dwarf king and i went with a similar theme that I was playing with dwarves earlier this year, super elite. So no, no warriors. You'll see Durin with his 12 hearth guard, King's champion, uh, three iron guards, seven Khazad guard, and then a dwarf King with two iron guards, six Khazad guard. And just as a shameless plug, this is where I think I posted some pictures of it. Uh, Matt gave me the idea to, to spice up my hearth guard a little bit, make them a little unique. So yeah, this was a, this was a fun Blooms. army to run. Added yeah, those, those, those look great. Love Hearth them. Guard are now known as Mohawk Dwarves. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and pretty cool looking ones. I like it. Um, so. Interesting. So this this is near and dear to my heart, obviously, because I run a lot of Durin. Um, so right off the bat, I see some similarities where we both run Elite Dwarves. Um, the difference, as I saw right there, is I do a little bit more 50-50 split of Iron Guard and hearth guard and you just kind of filled in with just extra Khazad guard and then the other difference i see is you ran the dwarf king which i don't blame you for that's a great choice because he's a fight six march and resolve 
Um, but I, I typically run a shield bear as my difference because he gives the free hero combats to Durin and provides the reroll re-roll the failed courage tests for the rest of the army. So basically all your iron guard are never stalling, but uh, very, very cool. Yeah. And I, I'm sure we'll get into this as we talk about the games. I think I was heavily influenced by seeing some of the lists you'd come up with. And obviously with Durin being an expensive hero, King's champion, I love playing with him. So I usually start the list there at 750. Losing 50 points, normally playing at 800, moving down to 750. It actually was a little bit challenging trying to finagle the model count. So I wasn't wasting with 11 point or 13 point models or 15 point models. It was hard to finagle that to maximize both points and model count. So, yeah. But I think I think you did pretty good. I think I, I like the list a lot. It, it's it's got that march, which is the thing that my lists typically don't. I typically want to run the shield bearer instead of a captain, but. Uh, so that's usually my downfall. My my thought process is, yeah, an extra three inches would be nice, but I'll just try to get there a turn earlier because I really want the shield bearer. But thirty five um, models in a super elite dwarf list. I I agree. That's really well done. That's good. You're talking at eight hundred point level at least. So, uh, all right. So I guess let's get into game one. Uh, what's what what was the scenario you guys drew for game one? Contest, Contest of, of Champions. Ooh, so right off the bat, I'm seeing Dalamir and Durin in Contest of Champions. All right, who wants to start us off? Matt? Yes, I will uh, I will start us off. And uh, for those of us who are joining on YouTube, I'll give you a little starting photo action of the battle line. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So... Contest of Champions, for those who aren't familiar with the scenario, that is the one where you can deploy anywhere within 24 inches with one notable exception. Your leader has to be <laughs> within a three-inch bubble of the very center of the board. And, of course, FAQ'd that that's the only one that he doesn't have to be wholly within. He's just got to be within. His warband's got to be within six inches of him. So uh, you can kind of see, and for those who can't look, uh, I put... All of my horses on my right flank, Dalamir in the middle. Uh, you got the bosun and his warband, so you've got a nice long battle line of corsairs supported by their spears. Horses on the right, gun line of crossbows angled to the left. Uh, now, what I should say is Dalamir's a pretty good hero, contest of champions. And then I looked across and I saw Iron Hills being put up on the side. I was thinking, it's okay. He probably bought, brought Mirren in a jar. Surely he didn't bring Dane. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. He, he, brought, he brought Dane. That stupid pig got set up right across from me. Um, so, really fun game. Um, as it started out, uh, what uh, took place was I won priority. Heroic move was called. Dane mastered of battled it. Uh, I won the roll-off and proceeded to use the fact that I can move six inches, dwarves can move five, and I backed up and created a inverted V formation that the dwarves had to charge into, and that essentially gave me two turns of throwing weapons into defense eight to see what would happen, as well as my crossbows. Um, my opponent did have a few bows, but not a lot. Uh, so limited number, We combat started really turn three. By that time, my horses had come around the back, met his goat riders. So he's now got a battle going on on back, 
side and front. And I feel pretty good about that because I have a substantial numbers advantage. Now, my opponent was really, really cool. And I'll just say that uh, I got very, very fortunate with dice rolling. Corsairs were getting traps. Doors were going down very quickly. The problem was, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I imagine those Arbalester strength four crossbows against that D8 must have been really frustrating for him too. Yeah, it wasn't doing a lot of good on that D8. So what happened is the the crossbows just got impatient and they decided we're going to use our backstabber rule and we're going to get in on this because we'll do more mm-hmm. damage with that than than sitting back. Okay. Uh, now, Dane got plugged up in the battle line for the first turn of combat, so I felt pretty good. I'm limiting kills. Uh, Dalamir hasn't gotten anything yet, but at the second actual turn of combat, Dane got into the line and started uh, t- doing heroic combats. So what I did was I plugged Dane up with more warriors than he could kill. So I was theoretically limiting him to if he charged, four kills. If he didn't charge, three kills. And I don't want to go through all of the ins and outs of the game, but I'll bring us up to a very vital point. Dane had killed five total warriors. And at that point, he flubbed his dice roll, did not get a charge. So on three dice, he got a three high. He did not have enough might to bring that up to a six. And Dane had about nine Corsairs, including spear supports, surrounding him. And Dane died. Wow. So I'm feeling really good about this because Dalamir is still alive on the left. And I have lost maybe nine total models at this point, And his army is at the break point. I will say the horses being able to dictate. I'm, I'm not charging all my horses at once. So no matter if I win the move or not, I'm getting 50% of my horses with their lances on the charge every turn. So even if he wins a move, he can only charge half of them. The other half then storm in. So every turn I'm getting at least five to six lance bonuses on the charge. A lot of traps uh, in each combat. So if I win, things are dying. Now, rookie, rookie, rookie mistake happens by Matt at this point. Uh, I have every single model in my army can shield, except for my bosun and my captain and Dalamir. Uh, Dalamir racks up four kills. And I thought, as I'm tallying up battle points, I've broken him. He hasn't broken me. Uh, I've killed his leader. I didn't kill it with Dalamir, but I thought I got points for killing his leader. And I thought, okay, final turn of the game. I'm going to do a heroic combat with Dalamir. Dalamir is going to go to six kills. And then I'll have all the points on the board. So Dalamir's heroic combat goes off. He does not win the the dice roll because he was fighting Drar, who had used up all his fate. And uh, he he lo- he's tied fight value with Drar, so he loses that on the roll off. And so I'm thinking at this point, well, it's okay. I'm still going to go ahead and quarter him this turn and end the game because I will win. So I proceeded to not shield on the rest of my combats, 
quartered him. We shook hands. We're like, hey, good game. Start reading the rules for the way Contest of Champions actually works. And you only get points for leader kills if your leader kills their leader, as we found out. So Dane had five kills. Dalamir only wound up with four. I broke him, was not broken. And I wound up losing by a victory point in that. Big, no. big, big lesson to learn is when Dalamir's throughout combat didn't go off, just shield with everybody else. Don't quarter. Get one more turn. Get two more kills with Dalamir in the game when you want to end the game. That would have been a major victory. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Super cool opponent, and credit to him for playing the scenario properly. Um, so I deserve to lose that one. And read the scenario, boys and girls. Read the scenario. Marcus is probably going to throw me under the bus for... <laughs> I was I wasn't gonna say it, but I there was there was a moment where the packs came out. They told us what scenario, and Matt walked by. He's like, little uh, general's pack. He's like, hey, do you need to refresh up or you know refresh yourself on this scenario? And I was like, I, I I looked at it a while back. He's like, are you sure? It's right here. You might want to look at it again. <laughs> I'm waiting for something embarrassing to happen to you. <laughs> he came back afterwards. He's like, I should have read the scenario. <laughs> Uh, well, obviously, bummer, but still looks like you played it really well, Matt. Um, I did have a question for you. Was Dalamir's smoke bombs ever going off on uh, Dayan? Because that would be like the prime target for me, I think. I used up two of Dane's uh, will okay. with smoke bombs throwing into combat because um, I figured, what do I care if I transfix one of my guys? So any chance I had uh, where... But I stopped doing it because what I realized is I'm trying to transfix Dane and Dane is continuing to get kills spending will and I was getting in a kill deficit because Dane spends a will, kills three guys. Dalamir's getting nobody because Dalamir has to throw a smoke bomb into a combat that he's charging into if he charges. So what happened is Dalamir's sitting, not actually charging, trying to throw smoke bombs. So I abandoned that to get Dalamir into combat, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um yeah, because I forgot you just takes a you just spend a will point, you automatically resist it. Yeah. Um, and Dane's got three. Which I've decided the smoke bombs are great, and this will come more into play against things that don't have will. The smoke bombs are awesome. But to take out heroes, Dalamir needs to be paired up with a caster. If that if that's your primary gimmick, go kill their hero, then you really need the Knight of Imbar to do a sap will or do something to drain that will away so the smoke bombs become a thing. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. Because if, if, thinking about it, Contest of Champions, you, I, I agree, you want some way of slowing Dayan down and a sap will paired with then a smoke bomb. Deadly. That, yeah, that, and then you wouldn't be afraid of chal uh, charging even Dalamir in there because he's got the Bane of Kings with the trap, plus one to wound, six dice. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, that would be a interesting combo. But I do like your list. But uh, yeah, that I mean, close game, obviously. I mean... Uh, you had it in your grasp, and I, I don't fault you. I, I, I do it all the time where I misread a scenario, or I misread, honestly, this happens to me the most, is when I misread when the game actually ends. I'm assuming that it's a one-to-two roll, the game ends, or something like that, and it's actually a quarter or something like that. It changes everything. So, I mean, it happens it, to everybody. It, it honestly caught me off guard because you don't really think about quartering an Iron Hills army that quick. Um, mm. This This army just kills really quick and it just caught me off guard to be honest with you so shame yeah. on me 
That, well, I guess that's the, po- the problem that you had. That's really cool of uh, having so many plus ones everywhere that you you slaughtered an Iron, Iron Hills army faster than you wanted. <laughs> yeah. well, I was going to say, let's start. So we got a five-game counter. Let's start the counter. Matt quarters his army game. His quarters his opponent game one. Yes. we got to start this. Yep. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and I think the final tally was I lost either nine or 11 models. Wow. Wow. That's... Uh, that's a little cavalry horde right there. Yeah. Also, so Mitchell, a couple things we got to put down and make sure we come back to at some point. So first thing, while Matt's sharing his uh, his game photo, something that was really interesting at this event, the boards, they were very um, similar in style, except for one we're about to see. Very open-esque. So you'll see Matt's got a lot of like graves and burial mounds and rocks, but the actual board itself fairly open fairly flat mm. uh, that's a really interesting dynamic to play and you'll see it, it'll actually play like in several of my games um it was super challenging or super fun um but given my army okay well let's get into your first game then awesome uh also two rules two rules issues that came up we also want to talk about at the end questions or clarifications or we'll throw them out to the viewers say how we decided um but that's always fun too okay yeah absolutely i love rules love 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 rules debates and clarifications and how different tos rule things because i i mean we're pretty by the book but it's also interesting how people interpret things awesome okay so this is my board hope you guys can see it it's this is the one that wasn't um open city not osgiliath but very osgiliath-esque Kind of like Lebanon or something like that. That's what I yeah. think of. Okay, cool. So you can see the board was actually super interesting. Um, I don't know if you can see my cursor, but yes. this is the middle, this fountain. Um, okay. And this is my opponent's army. So I was playing Contest of Champions against Moria, but the army was led by this little goblin captain with a bow. So <laughs> goblin captain versus <laughs> Durin in Contest of Champions. Uh, so this goblin... I would like to set the stage too. Is I get a message from Marcus when this game starts. He goes, "I'm playing Moria round one." And I'm like, "Oh, Depths of Moria, like Balrog. Okay, maybe it's not Depths of Moria. Maybe it's a Watcher in the Water." And he sends Contest of Champions. This is the leader, and it's a Goblin Captain. And I was kind of laughing. And then I go, <laughs> "Wait, what else is he bringing?" <laughs> yeah, that, his the Goblin Captain is bringing his friends two Cave Drakes. And I've actually never played against a Cave Drake. I've only seen people play against them. Um, and then also two bats. And a ton at 750 points. I think he had 50 models. I'm not going to count them all here. But okay, so he had two captains, generic captains. He had Groblog. Is that his name? The guy on the little pillar? Oh, yeah, wow. that's, that's Groblog. Yeah, so he didn't have Groblog as his leader? No, he did not. He Ooh. had tons of Prowlers, tons of Black Shield. Where are all the Black Shield guys? Um, it's all the guys with the white capes. He had like yeah, they're in the back there of that of that group behind the cave drake there. Oh yeah, uh, right there. Yep. So tons of prowlers, tons of black shield, two bath forms, two cave drakes, three captains, so a decent amount of might. Yeah, um, I've seen prowlers all over the place, man. That's man. So contest of champions, he's over on this side, I'm on this side. So we ended up taking out this fountain. So the middle of the board at three inches, right away, three small areas or pathways to go through. And huge advantage to the dwarves sit in a walkway. Don't have to worry about getting swarmed because you'd have to walk all the way around this watchtower through this little hole or all the way around this watchtower. And remember, he's got two cave drakes with huge oval bases. 
kind of blocking his deployment back here. So set up, he, he has a very conservative approach where he puts goblins in the front of his leader. So that way his captain can bail out turn one. I put Durin right up against that wall. The King's, the King's champion was over on this side, Dwarf King on this side. He flanked with two cave drakes to match both of my supporting heroes. And then turn one, roll off, Durin goes charging right in, charges two goblins, uh, kills both of them, heroic combats into two more goblins, kills those. So after turn one, I'm up four kills to zero. But I pulled, so there's going to be a, I don't know if I was, if I'm just getting worse in 2020 or if I was going through like a really rough patch, but you'll notice there's at least one or two points a game where you just bonehead move galore. Turn one, I let my Dwarf King out on the, on the spearhead of his warband on the left flank. And I look at the cave drake. Cave drakes are fight six. I just looked up their rule profile. They don't have strike. And so honestly, if he rolls his cave drake into, into combat with my Dwarf King, I would risk a roll off. It does have monstrous charge. It does have gaping mob, but I have so many cosmic guards. If he charges me on that turn one, he's going to get swarmed. And just over attrition, I know my cosmic guard are going to um, be able to kill it. I even swung a few hearth guard over here. So six wounds, no problem. I mismeasured. The Bat Swarm got into combat with the Dwarf King. So the Bat Swarms flew right in. Cave Drake have my fight value. Cave Drake knocked him over. Monstrous Charge, 10 attacks, killed my Dwarf King, turn one. So turn one, Durin has a 4 nothing lead, but I also just lost 75 points. And a lot of my pride, because half, half <laughs> my flank just died. Uh, <sighs> so the next, uh, next turn, King's Champion is just trying to survive. He does does do a pretty good job of bogging me down. He he was doing a lot of uh, kind of shielding, kiting tactics. So I, it was hard in this small area. It was hard to get through and actually get into a position where I could heroic combat. But the big thing and kind of like the last significant thing for several turns happened, I think it was the beginning of turn three. I think it was the beginning of turn three. There was an option, the cave, the cave drake on the right was, I won priority. And I had the option to charge with Durin and with the King's Champion. And two other support that wouldn't be able to get pulled off. So I was going to try and go for the Blitz kill on the, um, on the Cave Drake on the right side. And hopefully really tilt the, tilt the balance in my favor. It, surprisingly, uh, he, he ended up pulling up more guys than I thought. So at the end of the day, it was only Durin, King's Champion, and one warrior who were fighting the Cave Drake. These things are unbelievably tanky. Six wounds. Defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a high defense. I'm blanking on Defense the six, I think. Uh, oh, but it's, it has better, a... it's better than six. I think it's seven or eight. I'll look okay. it up. Uh, I, so all I remember is I didn't get the trap, but I had one of the craziest wounding rolls of my life. Durin with three attacks put three wounds on the cave drake. Nice. Two sixes and a five. And the key the warrior missed, and the king champion put three wounds on the cave drake with three dice. So out of seven dice, I dealt six wounds and killed the cave drake. And at that point, I was like, okay, I've made up for my I've made up for my uh, faux pas of losing the dwarf king. And that's when the entire game went to sink fest. The other cave drake got into my heroes. I could not kill it. I couldn't get a fight. I couldn't get a trap. It literally just existed. Uh, ended up killing my King's Champion with the knockover, the monstrous charge. 
It barreled me over, killed him. He ends up killing Durin. No, he put a wound on Durin. Sorry. Um, put a wound on Durin with that knockover monstrous charge. He never. He didn't try the gaping maw. He was just trying to try, just trying to kill. Yeah, because I know you sent me a text message during that game asking if uh, Durin's crown um, protected against the gaping maw. Did so. I was wondering if that ever did come up. Um, yeah, this is this is the last picture I have of the game. You can kind of see how it evolved. He this cave Drake came from this side. So after he killed the king's champion, he came to the middle. There's Durin hiding out in there. King's champion hiding out. Oh, King's champion looks like he's already dead. Um, but so what he did, he, with the model count, he did try to blitz around. So I tried to stall on my back flank with just a few models. And I was just, I was losing quite a few guys, just the numbers. And he had so much plus one to wound with the prowlers. And I think they also have hatred dwarf. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the black shields, the black shields do. So yeah, there's the plus ones on the spear supports back there. It looks like, yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was, uh, making great headway on the left flank and then just survive and, and, um, we ended up getting to time. I don't think either one of us quartered. It was just a time completion. And because his captain, he got one kill with his captain, where his cave drake and captain were able to charge into uh, an enemy dwarf. The cave drake knocked it over, and the captain rolled four dice to, to wound and got the six. But, um, yeah, so long story short, ended up uh, ended up breaking him, not being broken, and then having triple the kills as my enemy leader since i had four kills he only had one so i think that was an eight to eight to um one victory okay very nice he got it probably for breaking you but not he did he broke himself so he only got the one point is that what it was that's what it was because triple is seven points you're right yeah we were both broken so i I spoke cool Um, uh, let's break uh, profile update uh it is strength 7 d7 for the cave drake i was thinking of the watcher who's strength 6 d6 but yeah so that that's that's very very deadly um and the other thing i noticed too is when you showed me that first picture uh for other for people who are just listening and not watching uh that center he was talking about there was a big water fountain right in the center and it kind of blocked like everything and i was like how are you playing contest of champions on this so it looks like they removed it for that scenario specifically yep. just to, and then put it back okay <laughs> so that at least opened up a yeah, little bit. That would have been tricky. Yes. Yes. It was, yeah, it's it's an insane list because you think Contest of Champions against a goblin without a shield, a goblin with a bow. And it uh, it was incredible. Those cave drakes, man, two of them are nasty. Mm. Yeah, the, they're, because you're, now all the Durin haters are going to say that yeah. Durin was given a run for his money by a goblin captain in Contest of Champions, but it was a major <laughs> victory. It was a major <laughs> victory. <laughs> yes, calm down. The other thing I was going to uh, bash you for is why on Contest of Champions did you strike first with Durin? <laughs> strike last, get the kill. You would have increased your number of kills, but I guess you still tripled him, so I guess you weren't worried about it. Yo, that's We were laughing about that too, because how... Who in their right mind plans to do six wounds against a D7 opponent with seven dice? Dwarves spend... do. <laughs> oh Dwarves do. That's the answer. I rolled. I literally rolled the first three, and I was like, "Wow, three wounds!" I should have rolled him last, and then King's Champion, three wounds. I was like, 
I really should have rolled during last. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, so very cool because those cave drakes, they are nasty. I've only played against one actually, and that was against Richard in Canada. And we laugh about this because I had something similar to you where I I threw like five or six Hearthguard into it. And then I had Durin, and I was running a Dwarf King at the time. Durin and a Dwarf King charged the Bat Swarm, and they did a heroic combat and a heroic strike. And they're going to like trap the cave drake and one punch it a bat swarm and and i lost the combat to a bat swarm with durin and yeah, a they're, they're sneaky the yeah. bat swarms have what four wounds cave drake six wounds it takes a you have to really be careful yep. um when you're trying to plan up a blitz to, yep. to actually get through it so very anyways cool. very game cool. overall. great game so major victory for marcus and we're rolling into round two what was the scenario yes. round two was seize, seize, seize the, the prize, prize. Ooh, very cool. So we're 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 dragging two scenarios that I'm not overly fond of, but yes. that's okay. That's okay. Yes. So Matt, why don't you start us out with uh, seize the prize? Okay, so I was a little flustered after my first game, so I didn't take a picture of the starting board on my second one. So I'll just talk through this narratively. So we are on a board that was actually um, the front lawn of the Lonely Mountain, so to speak. So it actually had a really cool display board of the door of Erebor um, back that they took down for us to play, but just a beautiful board, but very flat, but its terrain features were like uh, ruined rocks that kind of prohibited you from just marching straight through it because it was difficult terrain, but didn't necessarily block line of sight to a great extent, if that makes sense. So you just imagine a bunch of rocky, difficult terrain that kind of kept you from setting your models just in a battle line. So, Everybody knows, seize the prize. You want to go get to the middle first. You want to go grab it, get it off your opponent's board edge, or at least hold it. So I set up, I was playing a Moria army. The Moria army was led by the Shadow Lord on a horse. He had a generic Ringwraith on a Fell Beast. He had Shagrat, Kardush, and Gorbag. And then just a bunch of different, uh, ah, yes, that's the board. Thanks. And then... While we're on a pause, I think you mean Mordor, right? I think I heard Moria. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, Mordor. Mordor. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Me and my nitpicky. But that's a, okay. Very that, open. That's a fairly big uh, discrepancy. So I'm glad you ca called me out on that. Well, you said, and we're playing Moria. And it started out with a Shadow Lord. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, yeah, wait. this is a weird yellow alliance. <laughs> no, no. Mordor. Mordor. Thank okay, you. Okay. Perfect. One of those and, things that starts with an M. Yeah. And okay, uh, so, yeah, that's a really open board. My uh, Condish Chariots would have loved that, but all right. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, for those who can see the picture, the side that's shown is the side I started on. Um, so I set up in position with cavalry up front, um, thinking that, okay, you've got Heroic March on uh, uh, Suladan. I then put a captain kind of close to the middle um, where he could get out if he needed to call the march for some reason. And I bubbled everything else to be able to, okay, as whoever calls the march, the, the horses will be able to get on the prize first turn. And then we'll see where everybody else ends up. But it's all staged to be able to get my cavalry middle of the board turn one. So this is actually going to create most of the conversation for this game. So I think I positioned fairly well. I lost priority. And so you think at this point, do you call, what heroics do you call? And 
my opponent called March, I called March, and then my opponent asked, are you also going to call a heroic move? And I thought about it, but if you think about the position, and if you call a heroic move, that person has to go first. If he calls with me, anybody within six inches has to go first with him and then end within six inches. Therefore, if you leave your marching hero out, your marching hero is somewhat stranded. So I did not call a heroic move. I just stuck with my march. Well, and, and also remember your your mar your hero that you would have called the move with is on foot, yes. not on horse. Yes. So uh, once this is all set up, I would really like your guys' thoughts because this is a tactical win or lose the scenario on what you do in the first turn. Mm. So with the opponent had the ring wraith on Felbeast that called the march because the generic ring wraiths have march. So he proceeded to take the ring wraith past the prize, brought up uh, wargs, dismounted on the prize, picked it up very first attempt, and that, that was his move. Okay, so at this point, I now have a heroic march called. And I, uh, doggone, I'm losing my train of thought. I didn't call the march with Suladan. I called the march with the captain. So with the way he positioned his ring wraith, Suladan, if I chose to move him first, could not go in the march and could charge the fell beast, who was all out by himself. And I'm thinking fell beast wouldn't have the charge bonus. Suladan can get into him the way it worked out in the measurement. So I move Suladan first, charge to the ring wraith, thinking heroic combat into the one little lonely guy that's sitting on the prize. And then I'll bring everybody else up in the march, and I'll have a lot of support right by Suladan for the next turn after that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so Suladan charges the fell beast. The rest of the army participates in the heroic march right up behind him. Suladan doesn't get his uh, knockdown, but... He gets the extra bonus for charging. Four dice on the charge. Rolls a two high. That's okay. Suladan has a banner. Suladan rolls a one with his banner. Ringwraith with his two attacks from the fell beast. Rolls two sixes. Suladan loses combat. Suladan is rendered by fell beast. Suladan does not die, but has one wound. No fate left when it's all done. <laughs> End of turn one. Suladan's almost dead. My opponent has the prize. Uh, turn two, I lose priority. Call a heroic move. I lose the roll off. Suladan is uh, transfixed. Rest of my army engages in a cluster. And keep in mind the Shadow Lord's calling Paul of Darkness, so my crossbows. This entire game, I rolled two hits and did not kill anybody for the entire game. There's the story of that for 13 crossbows. Um, so he hands off the prize to the Shadow Lord on horse. And the rest of the game is me chasing him back into his corner. By the time the game ends, uh, I have broken him, not been broken. He has the prize on his objective side. 
Um, and I've just kept harassing him and I corralled him. I was, I was kind of proud. I was able to keep him from breaking out with the shadow Lord. So the end of the game, he's basically backed all the way up into his left board corner and mm -hmm. his army is being crippled. I've killed, uh, I think I killed Shagrat. I killed Cardouche. Um, Gorbag was still alive. Um, didn't lose a ton of models on my side, but ended with a tie with the way the points worked out because of him having that prize. So you got three for having the prize. You broke him without breaking. That's yep. the three? Yep. Three, three? Mm-hmm. Very cool. And who is his leader? Sorry. I the Shadow Lord. Lord. The Shadow Lord. So that's why you didn't get a wound on him. All right. Yeah, I did not wound the Shadow Lord. Okay. All uh, right. There was a lot of shenanigans where I tried to call heroic combats, and he uh, was able to block. And having two casters, there was a lot of times where uh, – well, three casters, actually, with Cardouche. My, my heroes spent a lot of time uh, not doing anything. But mm -hmm. the, the rest of the army just made mincemeat of Mordor. And I'm assuming he got the Shadow Lord out of in time before Dalamir could start throwing smoke bombs and making him dwindle his will down, making him nervous. Correct. And Dalamir uh, only hitting on a six if he was. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's, that's a fair point. Because that means your crossbows weren't hitting him either and putting pressure on. Correct. Yeah. But so that's that's one of the main reasons that probably, if not, that is the main reason why I don't like that scenario is that exact reason. You see a ring wraith on Felbeast or an eagle. An eagle is worse because ring wraith on Felbeast is at least a cab model. Mm -hmm. So he, he can't pick it up. But you see a eagle or something like that on Sea Surprise. It's like, well, I guess I'll keep you from getting off on my side. But good luck me getting you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm actually super curious your guys' thoughts on that very beginning move sequence, because I think that's great fodder for competitive strategy. What would you guys do different than what I did there? In, it depends. On that open board, uh, if you don't mind me going first, Marcus, on that open board that I saw, where you have no obstacles, there's no terrain in the way, in theory, if you line your foot soldier up on the 12-inch the deployment, you would call, and then you have your marcher right next to him, the heroic move comes from that person. He goes six inches forward. That also calls a with me, which activates the other hero who called the heroic march. He goes up 12 inches. So he's still within. The front of his base is on the prize, dismounting. But the back of his base is still within the six inches of the guy who called the heroic move as well. So he's within the heroic move with me. But he's also gotten the benefit of the march at the same time. And that's how I would have done it. Okay, so you would have gotten the move and the march benefit by setting it up differently than I set up my front battle line. That makes yeah, sense. Both heroes together, yes. Uh, however you wanted to do that. So it would have to be Soladin. Um, or at least, I guess you could have a cab model do it too, because it's the same thing. As long as you have both heroes next to each other, the heroic move goes off, moves six inches forward. The guy who called the heroic march is now activated because of that heroic move. And now when he's activated, he activates the heroic march who then bubbles the rest of the everybody. The only trick is everybody has to end within six inches of each other, but you can still do that because you're only trying to get your front of your base onto the prize and the back of your base should be overlapping into the bubble that you need to be. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I just, I guess the, the big thing to that scenario is setting up thinking if you don't win priority, how do you make the move go off with the march? Yeah. So you're not playing on the defense. And it still comes down to, even if you call it, do you win the move off? But Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have, I guess, one clarifying question before I go into this. 
how many warg, approximately how many mounted models did he have? So how many people were on with the fell beast on the prize? Uh, he had only one person actually sitting on the prize. The rest of the cavalry was not touching it, but he had probably four to five warg riders right and by it. How many mounted models do you have with lances? Wasn't it like eight to 10? I had 12. You had 12 plus Suladan, so 13 mounted models? No, 12 with Suladan. Okay. So, yes, what Mitchell said, totally valid. You, at that point, you are trusting in a 50-50 roll-off. If you lose, no, let's say if you win this roll-off, because this is where I think the scenario balances itself, even if you play Eagles. Even if the Eagle or the Felbeast jumps on the prize, they still have to roll a four plus. I have played this scenario so many times where the objective is actually never dug up the entire game. A four plus is never rolled. Hmm. So you have to pair winning the roll off with digging up the prize. If you don't dig up the prize on that first turn, you are now completely exposed and completely out of position. So if somebody countercharges you, so let's go into Matt's shoes. Matt, you lost the roll-off. The Felbies got in front of the objective to kind of body block, plus the Wargs got on the objective. If they didn't dig it up that first turn, the next turn, they are in a world of hurt because in theory, your cavalry models are surrounding them from a charge range. You're going to get lance bonuses. You're going to get knockdown bonuses. And you're going to be blocking. I mean, it's a flying monster, so maybe not too much. You're, you're potentially blocking him from um, connecting his cavalry to his foot soldiers. So huge risk. On top of that, remember, you botched your freaking um, uh, combat roll. Like, reverse it. What if you rolled the sixes and he rolled all the ones and you killed the ringwraith on Felbeast first turn yeah. and then launched into the... This could have gone completely different, all based on the roll of the dice. So I, I don't think it's an auto-lose. I don't think it's all down to turn one. I think... There were three things, right? He won the roll-off, he won priority, he dug up the prize, and he survived the heroic combat all in the same turn. Yeah. Um, the only thing I would ask is, w the way you had it set up, it was only Soladan charging the fell beast. Is there any way to have gotten additional buddies to come help with lances and plus one to wound and more dice? Uh, there, there could have been, because I think I could have gotten one more horse in on it. But I saved them to get them on the march so that they were positioning around the prize. I was trying to set up for the next turn. So, yeah, I could have gotten another dice in or two more dice in on that charge. Okay, so maybe, I mean, maybe next time you don't put so much into luck and you stack the odds a little bit more in your favor. Don't go gung-ho for positioning. But he had three things all line up perfectly and in, in sequence in order to pull off that very... Very good move. It was a good move by him. Oh, yeah. But, Very well played by him. And I, just going back on what you said, too, something I noticed was the Ringwraith rolled two dice, um, but he didn't get the charge. Was that with a banner, what you were saying? Well, he Ringwraith got on Felbees. Ringwraith on Felbees. So he was rolling for the Felbees attack. Oh, the Felbees has two attacks. Right. And yeah. then you're, you have three attacks because he's a cavalry model. So you didn't get yeah. your extra attack, but Maybe you did get your banner reroll. Yeah. Because yeah, okay. I was thinking monster, you get it. Yeah. But cavalry cancels cavalry. So yeah, four dice with the cavalry. I'm making all kinds of mistakes today, solidifying no, my position as the new. No, it's, it's all <laughs> this good. This is why I tied. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but even still, so I do want to give you yeah. credit who, on this. Who I'm counted not the scoring on this. Like, we, we can go back and get a recap on this yeah yeah suspect uh, i do want to give you credit though because don't think that this is all doom and gloom so what marcus just said you lost priority you lost the positioning 
he dug up the prize first turn, and you botched your roll against a fell beast, which should have been dead. And yet, you still pulled out a tie. Like, that goes all favor to you. Like, that, that's almost a guaranteed lose for most of people, I would say. With, but, with um, flying monsters and so many cavalry. Like, exactly. That's a tough matchup to block. And, and go ahead. Yeah, go, oh, I was just saying, because there is a, a chance you can hand that prize off to the fell beast, because it is a cavalry model. So the fact that you were able to pin those fell beasts so that he wasn't even comfortable risking handing it off to the the fell beast to fly over your formation and get off the board that's just that's credit to you on how you played that game i think well and maybe also something to do with the fact that he had a gun line of 13 crossbows waiting for the fell beast to jump over <laughs> yeah he was scared to death to get that fell beast away from uh the shadow lord yeah. we're talking <laughs> 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 um, please right, so jump we... over my line please <laughs> loose the arrow no, on a serious note though something i want to make sure we talk about lots is when the game is not going your way especially in a competitive match how do you salvage and adapt and change your strategy and right away you went into pin do not prevent him from getting you know, five points for getting across midfield. So you max him out on three right away and you instantly went in, uh, maybe subconsciously, but you went into break mode and yeah. you quartered another opponent without breaking. Yeah. So this is so two, the counter is two. Game, but, that game must have timed out too, because the only way it ends is if both sides quarter too. So you played it all the way up to the end, maximum time, and you still only gave him three BP. So looking at it from his perspective, I would be really frustrated if I had a flying monster army and I grabbed the prize first and I couldn't score more than three points. So, yeah, well done. Great recovery. Great recovery. Thank you. So let's uh, let's make sure we've corrected all the errors that I just said. It was Mordor, not Moria. Suladan only gets three because he charged a cavalry. So no, no charge bonus. And then uh, what was the other one I messed up? Oh, uh, I should have charged another cavalry into the fell beast to get another dice attempt into that. Because then you're, there's your fourth. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. All right. Well done. Well done. All right. Moving on. We got Marcus. He's got the uh, Durin on Seize the Prize. This is interesting because now your king paid off because he has the march. Yes. But when I saw my opponent for game two, it was Isengard with heavy Urukai scout with. Mah- uh, Mahar's Marauders. So I'm thinking Lurts, March, Mahar, plus all these eight-inch move Marauders, um, and a and uh, Shark, Sharky, Sharku, uh, Sharku, Sharku. Yeah, Sharky, Saruman, sorry, Sharku with uh, probably six to seven Warg Riders. So super fast moving army. I'm sharing my screen. It's the board is Khazad Doom, the Bridge of Khazad Doom. So the 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 traditional gap right through the middle that that chasm um, there's a giant bridge three model three infantry model wide bridge kind of arcing up it's a it's an elevated bridge and then uh, two bridges on each side of that main bridge uh, wide enough for two infantry models to go across so five total bridges crossing crossing this chasm uh, the other thing to call out he had quite a few he had um, brasco the crossbow scout four Urukai crossbows, seven Urukai scout bowmen. So he had a pretty large contingent of shooting. So that's mm. and that's I, the match. I'm just seeing a troll too. So he had oh, an yeah, Isengard yeah. troll. And, and the Isengard troll. Sorry, okay. he doesn't play much of a factor in this game. I kind of forgot about him. Um, okay. I just. 
And the <laughs> guy I was playing with, he was super cool. We were making lots of jokes about this Isengard troll. Um, That's hilarious. And Huge. for those who don't know this board, um, this is a, the board. It looks like straight from the scenario rulebook in the Army of the Lord of the Rings of the Bridge of Khazad-dûm of Durin versus the Balrog. Because um, yes. I, I built that board for a scenario. So um, very recognizable to me. Epic, epic board. Uh, very well done. So huge tactic. I mean, really, the game the game did not go as you would think on paper. There was a huge tactical error by my opponent right away. He he deployed Lurtz is his first warband right on the bridge in position to sprint and put the Isengard troll in front of the warband, essentially blocking the bridge. Hmm. So Lurtz couldn't call a march and move first. It, everything was bottlenecked by this troll. So long story short, and all, I think I have a couple pictures of this, uh, the dwarf, my dwarf king and Durin side by side marching across this bridge. I got the march off. The dwarves actually got to the prize before Urukai, which was strange. The king picked Especially up... Especially with Maher's marauders. Yeah. Oh. So the king ended up picking them. I'm seeing if I've got... I'm skipping ahead too far here. The king... Um, Picked up the prize, so it was Durin. The king kind of faded back just because I didn't... Here's all the crossbow guys down here. I didn't want to get shot to pieces on this bridge. It was super wide open. He had his crossbows on the side, so he could easily shoot up at my guys crossing the bridge. And my plan was just to slowly march forward. I'm thinking, okay, I've got an easy five points because Urukai are going to be very uh, risky if they try to challenge my two big heroes coming across the bridge. So they're going to have to have like a fallback tactic and then I'll just stall on the sides to make sure I don't um, get swarmed. So really the game, uh, I want to say it progresses fairly normally. The The troll on that first turn of combat, he ends up getting killed because I was able to trap him during, I think it was during, it had to have been during, he was only one strike. Struck up, killed him. Um, so the troll's gone. And then he blitz crazy hard. So the marauders with a march plus... Sharku and the Wargs, they all went on one of my flanks. So the King's Champion and his warband plus some support went to kind of stall them out. And um, guys, I've never had dwarves die so fast. But let's just kind of speed this up. The Urukai Scout Bowman. Holy cow. Seven shots a turn. We had quite a few turns because we were moving and there weren't a lot of combats. Uh, they were killing two guys a turn. So my huge cluster, my huge contingent on the bridge dwindled like crazy um on the flank where maher and sharku uh tried to blitz me let's see if i gotta get a picture of that he ended up not charging he went heavy on the charge with maher across the very far bridge um i was able to like prevent traps but 1v1 the urukai scouts were just winning the fight and killing me he was executing on all of his combats so I, I got down on model count, and then I started getting swarmed, and then that didn't go well. I blitzed my king's champion into his wargs. So you can see all this picture here. This is set up. This is actually five inch. Uh, I'm within charge range here. I decide to go for it. I think, okay, I've got two iron guard here with extra attacks. I'm going to um, run in. I'm going to call a combat. I'm going to kill Sharku and then try and blitz into some other wargs and really mop up this warband and then come pester his backline on the main bridge. King's champion runs in fails the heroic combat with an iron guard against Sharku who didn't charge. So that stalls me. Mm. The next turn I win the combat, I can't kill Sharku. So now I've burned both might trying to pull off a sexy heroic combat mop up clean. 
I'm out of mine on this side. Then he's got three might with Sharku to help do the priority rolls. He's charging every single time. This whole warband right here, except for the King's Champion and one banner, die to these wargs. I can never, I can never push. <laughs> they wow. totally mop me up. He has marauders that run. Again, we're doing really fast turns because only a handful of combats per. His marauders run all the way around up this bridge, and they're threatening to come trap the what's left of my contingent um, on the middle bridge. So, so wait a minute. So for people who can't see the picture, he circles on the very far side of the board, around, completely yep. wraps around your back line, and then has marauders back behind you on the middle bridge where the prize is? Yep, and he, so he never got into combat. He was one turn away, but okay. they ran all the way around. And guys, I bubbled. So think about the board. It's a four-by-four four board. He ran the perimeter of the board because I had dwarves harassing him and kind of trying to choke him out, and he ran all the way around. So I could never get into combat, always six Whoa. inches away. These marauders were like on speed or something. Like it was crazy. <laughs> um, now we know what Aragorn said. Some fell thing aids them in their flight. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it sets its uh, will against us. The huge, the huge saving grace is just Durin's survivability. Uh, he not having to worry about D nine. It was huge. He didn't, he didn't kill it. A lot of people. He killed a handful of warriors. Again, it was so congested on the bridge with only three wide. Until I got past the bridge, and unfortunately, this is the last picture I took of the game. Um, so, so also for those who are uh, staring at this picture, I'd like you to clarify what is a Minas Tirith warrior spearman doing behind Durin? <laughs> oh, this is this oh, is something yeah. huge we forgot to explain. That was actually really cool about this tournament. Yeah, uh, let me try and do it justice, but fill in, Matt. So, uh, everybody had their list, and then every army was assigned a bonus model by the tournament organizer. And that bonus model played into a secret objective that every scenario in game had. So uh, that bonus scenario or that bonus objective was not tied to victory points. It wasn't tied to uh, tournament points. It was tied to raffle points. They had a huge raffle at the end of this event with amazing prizes. But if you um, completed your secret, secret objective with your bonus model, you got additional raffle tickets. So it was things like, on on a contest of champions i think it was if you can kill the enemy bonus model you get a bonus raffle on a seize the prize is if your bonus model is the one to pick up the prize and and also in the game with the prize um that's a bonus raffle on objective based ones is does your bonus model uh capture it, it's all tied to what game you're playing but um it was a really cool added flair yeah, I thought it was a really neat gimmick. And everybody's bonus model, no matter what it actually had, was the way he set it up. Everybody had a fight three, strength three, defense five bonus model that fit into their army. Yeah. So, like, somebody was a ministerial, somebody was a goblin warrior, somebody was an orc warrior, somebody was an urukai warrior, but they all had the same stat line. Interesting. But um, did it have a spear? It did have a spear. So the wear gear was the same. So some people had bowmen. Uh, some people had two-handed pick people. Uh, I got a quarter arc with a short shield was mine. Ah. So everybody's cool. work is a little different. In this case, the spear was awesome because Khazad Guard or Khazad Doom doesn't have any natural spearmen built into it. So Very nice. Kind of, 
my first game, I wasn't paying attention when he set him out. So like I looked at my battle line, I'd set it up and then I came back and there's this mortar orc sitting in there with it. So I like walking across the game. I'm like, is somebody missing an orc? And I'm like going to tables and they're like, finally the TO sees me. No, no, no. That goes with your army. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That sounds like a super fun, uh, little, uh, secondary objective thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. it was a great time. I like flare stuff like that. So I, let me wrap up this bad rep. It's it's basically over, right? So it was base. Once I started realizing how quickly I was dying to the bow fire and not doing well on my one on one combats, it turned into attrition. I started playing a little bit more aggressive just to make sure I got past the halfway point. Even tried to make a couple attempts to break through. Was close, but he he rallied his troops and just had too many models for me to actually break through. Um, Lurts, because my king and my and Durin were together, wasn't able to jump in because I also had strike. I had one might left with Durin. I saved a point of might, so it was. It wasn't until the very last, um, the very last turn of combat because we were running out of time that he charged Lurts with two pikemen into the dwarf king and Durin because I had them both next to each other um, to try the strike off shenanigans. It didn't work for him, and uh, Lurts ended up dying. But it, it came down to uh, it came down to the last combat because if he would have won, it would have been three attacks plus his two pikes against the Dwarf King. And I mean, Lurtz had one point of might left, so it would have been five attacks looking for sixes to kill two wounds. So it was close. It was close, but, um, but solid. But still a major games. victory, right? Yep. So I think so. He broke me. Helped me remember the points, guys. I was past halfway, so that is five. Uh, I'm pulling it up right now. One second. Five points for that. Aha. So uh, you had it on. You you had the objective on his side, correct? Yes. So that's five. Uh, causing a wound on the enemy leader, two for killing. So I killed him. So it's okay. Seven. So that's so that's seven, and then one point for if it's broken, three if it's broken and you're not. Seven three was the final score. Seven three. Cool. He broke me, and I did not break him. I think I killed nine models. Out of his entire force, it was sad. Wow. Very cool. But uh, well played. Well played. Dwarves, they kind of do that. They kind of st- sit on a bridge, and they're fighting down their home, and they kind of just slowly push you forward. Very cool. It was, it was very thematic. Yes. Very cool. Okay, so what's the round three, then? R- round three, last game of day one, is Command the Battlefield. Ooh, finally, a new one. Yes. So... I'm a big uh, fan of this one, actually. I actually really like this scenario. So my opponent in this one is bringing Azog's Legion. Azog uh, on White Warg, leading a bunch of Gundabad orcs, spears and shields. Two Warbats, or Gundabats as they are now called. Uh, then he, rebranded. he also had a Gundabad troll with Crushing Club uh, in that warband. Then Fimble leading some Gundabad, uh, no, some uh, Hunter Orcs. And then he had a Gundabad captain leading an assortment of Orcs and a banner. Interesting. And, of course, this is a Maelstrom deployment, so go ahead and take us into it. It's a Maelstrom, so I lost priority, which in Maelstrom is actually winning priority, if you think about it a little bit backwards. So um, he rolled, started with uh, the Gundabad captain, and... He got a two, did not mite it. So I put him on what I will describe. And I I don't think I've said the board. I'm playing on the board Marcus did game one on, which is a fiefdoms board with all the heavy terrain, if if we remember that board setup. Mm. So 
I deployed his Gundabad captain in the northeast corner of the board. Uh, he then rolled for Azog. Azog uh, rolled low. I put him on the west central board edge. And then last but not least, he rolled for Fimble. And I put Fimble on the north central board edge. So captain, far northeast quadrant. Fimble, middle of the north quadrant. Azog all the way off on the west side, all by himself. So when I deployed, uh, I got a bunch of really good rolls. Uh, I brought in Dalamir on the south central board edge. And the thing to remember in this board, it's very constrained by building. So as you're walking on, there's no situation where you're going to be able to form a nice battle line. You're going to be going into either three wide by like six deep to get your army through the buildings, or you're going to just be trying to split everybody off to make their way through the buildings to get to a fairly open middle. Um, so Dalamir, South Central. I then uh, brought in my captain, South Central by Dalamir. My bosun, I brought in East Central. And then Suladan rolled a six. So I brought Suladan on the north Fimble and his band of hunter orcs. So I've got Fimble in a really bad spot by, with a bunch of cavalry. Uh, and then everybody else is marching in. So turn one, I won priority. Fimble called a heroic move to try and escape. Uh, Fimble got a little, was able to get out of charge range, but his warband wasn't able to get out of my charge range. Uh, everybody else just starts walking towards the middle of the board. Um, turn one, I basically eliminated most of Fimble's warband. Uh, so Fimble's still alive. He's got maybe one orc left. The captain, his, his Gundabad captain that's on the northeast quadrant is hurriedly trying to march get into Fimble to help out. Azog did not call a march and started coming from the far west side, slowly but surely with his troll. And Azog was not moving 10 inches. He was moving with his warband. Um, I then began to spread out, uh, thinking most of the battle command, the battlefield has a, <coughs> excuse me, a dead zone bubble of 12 inches in the middle of the board. And I'm thinking most of this game is going to take place on the East side of that 12 inch bubble. So most of my things are converging on that point, but I sent a bunch of models to kind of spread out across the board. So I'm theoretically taking control of Southwest, Southeast, and Northeast, and he's got Northwest Quadrant locked down at this point. Uh, as, the, as everything just continues to march through, Fimble somehow magically stays alive for the entire game because uh, he was able to escape and win a few key fights, but he's losing orcs at a fairly high speed. His bats start flying 12 inches and start harassing, and they actually start getting quite a bit of kills from their pluck rule, uh, which was extremely annoying that entire game. That's a um, strength four hit? Yes. Against a D4 army. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Cool. so that was, yeah, he was, he was really decimating me with his bats. Uh, Azog, let's fast forward a few turns. Azog's in the middle. He leaves his warband behind and begins to engage. Uh, and I saw an opportunity... Uh, with Dalamir on the Gundabad troll. So Dalamir 
and a bunch of his little friends flash killed the Gundabad troll with a smoke bomb because the troll has no will. So the troll goes down in one combat, uh, which was painful for him. Um, Azog then abandons everybody and goes to the east side to start doing what Azog does, killing everything with a ridiculous amount. I was able to keep Azog away from heroes. Azog did not have the stone flail. So he was really getting bogged down in just base troop warriors, which I was fine with. Absolutely fine with. Wow. Uh, it seems like Marcus's theory about the stone flail pays off more and more the more I hear about Mark, uh, the Azog. Is he needs the flail. Absolutely. It's expensive, but yeah. Yeah, you've got to have that two-handed, in my opinion. Uh, now, in this scenario, my crossbows actually started to do some good because I was able to kind of spread them out across the board and put them up on buildings so they had line of sight. And they're able to start doing little shots every once in a while, harass, at least make him think about where am I going to put my troops because his baseline troops are D6, so I'm wounded on fives if I can hit. Um, and it just became a war of attrition at that point. Uh, I actually almost killed Azog. Uh, I was able to keep Dalamir away. Um, I, w I quartered him, actually, in this scenario. We ran out of time, but... Uh, I did not break. For all those kids counting. That's yep. three out of three games. Yep. And I commanded all four quadrants of the battlefield when it ended. So nice. I, th I think it was a 10 to 0 victory. You wounded Azog? Mm-hmm. 11. Nope, then I didn't wound Azog. Never mind. Okay, but did you break? Sorry, I missed that part. Did you break I, at all? No. So you uh, would score, yeah, if you had all four quadrants, that's eight. Uh, breaking without being broken is two, and then wounding a leader is one. So it's 11. Okay. I think I, I, think I did not wound Azog, Mitchell. I think I misspoke. Okay. I think I won 10 to zero. Okay. So I, I, I could be wrong. I came over to watch the last few minutes of this game. I think you did wound Azog, Matt, but I think what wasn't one of the um, – objectives you controlled it but you didn't have double the model so you only got one point for the that's, for the fourth quadrant and you wounded wow. Azog because you had that crazy trap remember that's right you're right because i knew it was 10-0 and i couldn't remember how i got to 10-0 okay so you 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 had full control of three quadrants you yep. controlled one quadrant and then uh, you wounded Azog. very cool yeah. so that's three quarters as we're still counting so matt i would say your army is built to kill yeah. <laughs> so, so far, you've gone up against Iron Hills, Mordor, and Azog's Legion, and haven't slowed down. And D four is like tricky, uh, resilient because nobody dies either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I will say I as I I've always been a dwarf player for the longest time, but I've obviously I've been playing more D four armies and stuff like that. I will say it, it is more entertaining for you to see the frustration of your opponent when he says, I should be killing these things, so why am I not? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a mental battle on top of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and then, like, even with the fight advantage, when you're fight four and they're fight three and you've got numbers, yeah, it, it's just, it, it becomes a mathematical equation on winning those combats, so. Oh, and backstabbers, yeah. lances, you have so many wounds. Poison. Yeah. Throwing weapons, you have so many throwing weapons Six in your Six-inch banner, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's really well done. Uh, Six-inch and a three-inch banner with the bosun. Oh, that's right. So you have like... A I have lot not, of nine, nine inches of banner effect. Plus bases, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Very nice. All right, Marcus. You're up. Well, I, the one thing I got to say, because again, I walked over at the end of this game to kind of see the end of it. Um, Matt had an epic trap of Azog trying to kill him. 
totally flopped it. It was hilarious. <laughs> was it like nine dice and you only put one wound on Azog? Yes. <laughs> With backstabbers. With backstabbers. He was so proud. He's like, I did it. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> one wound. Um, the other thing, I, I see you've got a picture of this. Those bats, there was a point in the, at the very end of the game where he had crossbows trying to get to an objective, but two bats just kept flying overhead picking up people and dropping them, but they would end their move phase on a building so he couldn't get to him or shoot him. They would just pop off the building. So Matt had to climb up this two-story building, turn after turn, trying to stop the bats from just <laughs> flying out, grabbing a person, coming back. <laughs> oh, and, and I did I did forget the funniest part about this. This is actually a buddy of mine that I was playing. His name's John, a really cool guy. But as I was moving into the Northwest Quadrant where Azog had marched through, I was moving guys through a little hallway to make sure I was going to take that quadrant. And as I'm moving my army in, I'm like reaching underneath and I'm like, I'm feeling something. I'm like, what is under there? So I look under and there's two Gundabad warriors sitting there. And he's like, oh, because he had sneakily, as he was marching through, he just kind of shuffled him in there. And I, I had no clue they were there. So he's like, this quadrant's mine. And I'm like, what am I bumping into? He's like, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> it was the classic as you're watching like push and then oh these little guys they're gonna stay good, good tactic very good tactic oh that's funny so for the we're i'll make sure to feel under all the train now to see the sneaky <laughs> controller yeah. uh very cool you almost need like awesome digital boards where your models have an rfid chip so if the board will automatically score, and like the squadrons will turn red or blue. Just to, <laughs> wait, wait. Why is that one? Where is why this is model hiding? <laughs> Very cool. That would be really helpful to get a live, uh, updated uh, victory point uh, during a game, so you can keep track of it. Oh yeah. So my game three is going to be easy. This is the weirdest tournament game I've ever played inspired kind of by our discussion about Matt's encounter with the Rangers of Athelion back in North Carolina. Um, so interested to hear what you guys, we've already talked about it briefly, but he hearing your thoughts again, I was playing Command the Battlefield, my 35 dwarf model, uh, 35 model army against Goblin Town. A horde of 96 goblins oh. with the scribe. So he had... He had the Goblin King, he had Gollum, he had the Scribe. He had two mercenary captains, so two full war bands that could deploy anywhere. And the uh, Scribe calling in all the time. Yeah, and just, I guess, what's the um, captains to fill out? I don't remember how, ever, how many other captains he had. Gollum and probably... I think two or three. Of little short captains. Yeah, two or three regular captains. Whatever gets you to 96 models at 750 points. So... I have a picture I'll pull up here in a second, but it is a very open board with the river going through the middle. Uh, I lost priority, so I th this is off to a good start. I made him deploy first. He didn't roll super great for everybody that rolled. So his mercenary captains didn't roll. Everybody that did roll, I deployed them in separate parts of the board. With my thought being, I might be able to have a situation where I can jump on and kill an entire warband to start trying to even out the model count, potentially even his leader, if I can get him isolated. So I deployed him completely spread out. And then I rolled three twos for all three warbands. And I was sitting there thinking, so I rolled the king, dwarf king first, rolled a two. 
And I thought, I don't want to use a point of mic because I'm going to need combats to try and even the playing field at some point if we get into combat. King's Champion went next. I rolled a two. And both these models only have two points of might. I, I wrestled and I, I either spent a point of might to go down to a one or up to a three. And either way, he's going to be toying with me. Uh, I let it stay as a two. And he put, so he put my first warband off in the very corner of the board. Maximum, as close as you could, that six inch buffer. I, and then I, when I left the King's Champion at a two, he put the King's Champion right next to the Dwarf King. So two warbands in a row right next to each other. And then Durin rolled a two. And at that point, I could have burned more might, but then it would have been Durin by himself. He still had two mercenary warbands with 18 warriors apiece that could have dropped down anywhere. And that would have overwhelmed Durin completely. So I left the two thinking I'll keep my might just to try and save myself. And he put Durin right next to all three heroes. So all three heroes came on in on top of each other in the very corner of the board. So he was using his army bonus to get the mercenary warbands up to 18? Uh, is that not a thing? No, it is. It is. It's just not yeah, common because most it, of the time they leave those small so they fit on a terrain piece. But for this it, scenario, it's awesome. Uh, maybe it was 12. I, sorry, 96 goblins, they all blended together. <laughs> yeah, Whatever his warband composition was. Well, I think maybe what it was Matt, just 12 goblins. What I think Matt was saying was you can do it. It's just uncommon because they, in order for them to come on, they have to come on wholly with inside of a train piece. Yep. So you usually so, keep it small so that you have more options. of where. Or you can bring in. them from a board edge if they don't fit on a train oh, piece. True. So he, he was likely doing 12. He, so he was a very good player. Like Spoiler alert for the rest of the tournament. Um, I, I bet it was 12 because he had played this army quite a bit and, mm -hmm. and knew the advantages. So let's just say it was 12. But still, that's 24 goblins plus 2 cap. That's 26 models he could have dropped anywhere to really harass my leader. So that's deployment. I'm in the exact corner. He's spread out. And from the very get-go, as soon as I found out I was playing Goblin Town, I, my, my tactic was I'm going to run to a halfway point, split the difference, so I'll be contesting two board heads. It's going to be very hard to um, ever control one board edge and I will do my darndest to break him so I can start getting courage tests. He'll run away and then I can start to take out, span out and take over the board. Uh, turn one, we move. He's charging towards me, fanning out. The scribe is calling on two to three goblins at a time. Turn two, same thing. I'm moving towards the middle. Um, he's spreading out, marching towards me. And then it was... It was either the beginning of turn two or the, or the end of turn two or the beginning of turn three where we realized what was happening. I got to a point where I was threatening. I was getting to within 12 inches. So not enough where I could move and then win a heroic move and then charge. So I was outside of that range. I got close to threatening range and he backed up. He started backing up. And I made a comment. I was like, you don't want to charge in? He's like, absolutely not. I don't want to risk dying. And I looked, and he had 30 models in one quadrant, 30 models in another quadrant, 30 models in the third quadrant, and I was still trying to get to the middle. So I'm like, okay, it's three to one, and he'll contest the fourth objective really quick. So that's that's a five one, but that's a five zero score right there, right? I think that's uh, two for each quadrant if you hold if you double the model count. So, so that's, that's six seven, to, six to one because he's got three, I still got one. Okay. I look at him, I was like, you're not going to charge at all? He's like, absolutely not. And I was, I was like, okay, are you going to bring your king forward? Because his king had kind of meandered towards the middle of the board. And he's like, absolutely not. 
and I did the math in my head really quick. I was like, well, if you're not going to charge me to get into combat, I am not going to chase you because as soon as I chase you and spread out, you'll swarm everybody. I'll likely die, but there's no way. Um, oh yeah. Throw up some pictures. Um, but there's no way I'll be able to outnumber you just because of the sheer volume of goblins you have and your leader, the victory points for your leader kill will never be there. Cause you're never going to bring him into combat. And he's like, yeah, pretty much. So in the middle of that turn, I pulled everybody back. So I, all of my models were within one quadrant. So I had double the models on quadrant one, I'll call it. He had 30 models apiece on quadrants two through four. So that was six a two. Six, six to two game. And we called it right there. Mm. It was, oh, it was interesting. It only took about, well, it's like the, we talked about this. He's a cool guy. And we, we ended up playing like some, what do you call it? Skirmish game or yeah. skirmish after, after we scored the game, then we just charged in for a bloodbath and we had some funny, funny combats. We did that for 20 or 30 minutes. Um, I had, <laughs> I finally had the situation where my dwarves were wounding on twos, rerolling ones. It's my <laughs> strength guys piercing struck with Burley against his D three <laughs> goblins. So nice. I had some, I had some pretty epic wounding rolls. Um, but yeah, from a competitive sense, he didn't want to risk, and it was valid because he had just, there were a lot of dwarf players. He, he had just played a dwarf army where he did break and the courage test started going bad for him. And he, he pulled it out still, but um, he didn't want to risk coming into combat, risk breaking, and then completely running away. So he held everybody back and I wasn't going to risk chasing him down. because So best case for we did a best case, worst case. Best case for me was that 6-2 score from a victory point, it's still a major loss, but from a victory points perspective, I still get two victory points and it's a penalty for him. He only gets six victory points for his major win, but his, his cost benefit was a lot greater. He could have gotten 12 zip and likely he had a pretty good shot at getting 12 zip, but he didn't want to risk losing the game. So he was okay with a major victory six, two score. Hmm. So 10 minute, we had a 10 or 15 minute. If we talked, I can't remember how long it actually went, but, 10-minute competitive game at 750 points. So what's interesting to think is what else could you have done to force a different decision? And I'm kind of scratching my head right now because you're move five, he's move five. Yeah, there's there's virtually nothing you can do. It, it, it's in, in other scenarios where you control something, it doesn't always say if you double the models, you get... Uh, double the v, you know, the full VPs for it. Some of them is if you just have more, you only get one. If you have all of them and no enemy models, you get the full points for it. Yeah, and I think that's what it's protecting against. So in Command the Battlefield, I've always loved the fact that oh, if I have double the models, I still get full points. I see the downside now because Marcus had absolutely no shot if he's backing away. Because well, even if he, even if you straddled uh, two quadrants, I mean, he's going to double you on both of them then. Mm-hmm. because you well, only have 35 models. Remember where I said the, the board style was challenging yeah. and super fun at the same time? The other thing is, if, there was, if the board was not open to allow... So all of his models had March, right, that were mm. close. So you can see this picture. This is where we called it. This four band right here was backing up with March. I have one king with March, so I get one chance to blitz him, and he's just going to counter and move away um, in a circular wheel. Yeah. So... Uh, the board being so open, allowing him totally free movement. Think about if we had played on that 
city board where you can't just move five inches yeah. in the position you want. You have to go around a building or you're in a choke point. That would have hampered him. He'd have never been able to move his army. Yeah. The other thing is deployment. If I would have uh, burned might, if I would have tried, if I would have risked going down to one and re-rolling, um, because remember, he was totally spread out. So if I would have rolled hot and if I would have rolled high enough where I could have deployed two warbands on top of the, the Goblin King, who, side note, the Goblin King is filthy. But I would have yeah. <laughs> yes. tried to assassinate him. Yeah. He had one game where the Goblin King staved off 15 wounds in a row with that three plus, that three plus fate save. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His blubbery fat. Um, but again, I could have gone bad. I could have. I could have killed him there, but just being stuck at a five inch move, being stuck all the way down in this corner and trying to move out, it sucked. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is I understand what he's doing. I mean, you obviously had two major victories already, which I'm assuming that meant he had two major victories. He's going yeah. for the, he's going for the tournament. He's going for the gold. Oh, yeah. uh, so I understand it from a competitive standpoint at the same time. I hate it. I really do. I think I, I think there is absolutely you were on the back foot in that game, that entire game. Even like if you stood up and went at each other, I still would pick him to win. And yep. to back away the whole game and not play doesn't feel right. I don't like it. Uh, I think if he would have engaged and played you fair and square, I think he still would have pulled out even a 12-0. Like, like that could have very well happened. Um, so we'll we'll look at the final scorings, but we talked about this a ton. From a competitive standpoint, I think... I don't. I don't take it, nothing against. He was a great guy. He was a great player. Very like very sound. Seeing the other games he played, um, it was a tactical call. No issue with that. What whatever. It sucked because I really only played four games for the event. It came back to bite him in the butt because games four and game five pairings, he was tied, and lost the tie because of the victory point standings and had different matchups. And the last matchup uh-huh. he had of the day was a horrible matchup for him because it was terror-based against Goblin Town. And so the fact that he didn't go for the 12 victory points, because he was, at the end of the day, he was first place. He had three major victories. He had beaten the turn- the eventual tournament winner um, this day, or maybe he was heading into the matchup where he was about to beat the tournament winner. Uh, he was rolling over everybody. Nobody had heavy shooting. There was one army with terror in the entire um, tournament contest and yeah hmm. he pulled he pulled a short straw because even every everybody who was pulling draws and minor wins had more than six victory points yeah hmm. so you risk you gamble you roll the dice so yeah I, yeah I, I like you said it's it it makes sense that it came back to bite him like you said um i think that's that's fair i again i'm not bashing him I, I don't know. I'm, I, I completely understand from a competitive standpoint. You're going for the gold. You really want to win a tournament. I get it. I really do. From a gameplay standpoint of playing a tabletop game, I don't like it. I don't like <laughs> not playing, honestly. Uh, yep. hey, I, want, I, I want to play. Secretly, I'm okay with it because, again, I think I very easily should have lost this game 12 nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, uh, he has 96 models on a game where you just have to double your opponent in quadrants and you're facing a 35-model army. like, And you're calling in more models. I, yeah. I don't understand why he didn't go for it. I mean... we When we were playing, when we continued the game just to kind of, for S's and G's, by the time we got into combat, he had 109 models on the board. Yeah, 
I, I really don't understand why he didn't even chance it. I mean, why not go for the the max? Uh, but uh, to each his own, his I guess. Yep, his call. If I would have taken cavalry, if I would have taken shooting, totally different ball. If you would have taken army of the dead, yeah. If I would take, er- yeah. If 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 I, there were a lot of things I could have done. It's, this was we talked about it in our last episode. What is your, what is your weakest matchup against a scenario? And your weakest matchup against an army, and I drew the, the short straw on both of those. It happens. Yeah. I, I, member contest of champions, I drew it on the yep. great straw both. I had a tanky choke point against a, a very non scary captain. So, right. Yeah. It, it flips both ways. Yep. So. Well, not unfortunate third game, but uh, looks like that. Yeah, because that's a tough way to end day one, too. I could see that. But. Uh, <laughs> Well, it, hopefully it you are like still sober hour. by game two. <laughs> yeah, it gave us a, an hour to talk about hot chicken. He was giving me so many like Nashville hot chicken recommendations because at this point it's like nine o'clock at night. We're starving. The tournament started at like lunchtime, and I I didn't eat lunch or dinner, so I was just like dreaming about food. <laughs> <laughs> so, talking about chicken should help. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well. That ends uh, day one, and we're going on to day two. So as it stands, Matt, you have one loss, one tie, and one win, correct? You're one, one, and one. Correct. And Marcus, you're at... Was it a minor minor loss or major loss, Matt? It was a um, major. So one major, one draw, one major win. Okay. And Marcus is at two major wins and one major loss. Yep. Okay. So day, day two, we're on game four. With uh, one more to go after this. Uh, and Matt, what was the scenario you drew and what were you facing? All right. So for this one, uh, I was facing uh, Rivendell High Elves, led by Glorfindel. And he brought Elrond's boys with him. The scenario was capture and control. Mm. And we were playing on the good old uh, Moria board that we've discussed earlier. So I'll throw up the starting picture for this one so we can all kind of look at it. Um, so, oops, again, bridge of Kazadoom. Uh, there's bridge in the middle, two bridges on each side. Um, the bridges, for the people who can't see the photos, are probably wide enough to get three abreast on a, on a troop-sized base across. Um, so the interesting thing in the way he built his army, he had uh, Glorfindel was his leader. He had some archers in his war bands, some you know, warriors with shield and warriors with spear. All of his archers had spears. And then he had the twins as a one drop in his army. And then he had a high elf captain uh, leading his final warband. So when we deployed, he deployed Glorfindel right in the middle on the main bridge of Kazadum. And on my right side of the board, he deployed Elidan and Elro here. And then on my left side of the board, he deployed his high elf captain with, the, with a, a banner and a bunch of archers. So as I was looking at this, I was thinking, okay, I just kind of staggered my deployment heavy middle slash right side. Um, and I put my crossbows in the back of the board and I put my captain in the middle. So I had 
six crossbows on within six inches of him on his left side and six crossbows within six inches of him on his right side. So the, the crossbows are really spread out maximum distance you can get that way. I figured I could get line of sight each direction if I wanted to. Um, and excuse me, I'm going to make another correction. It wasn't a high elf captain. It was Kirdan uh, was in that mix. A <laughs> little bit yeah. of difference. Big, big difference. Big difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he pulls off the helmet. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Wait, yes. uh-huh. Wait, so, sorry, can you remind me, where was the High Elf Captain now named Kyrdan position? The one disguised, the yeah, the, the Kyrdan disguised as a High Elf Captain. Where yeah, is he? over here. So he's way, so Blinding Light is way off on the wrong side of the board for him. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's interesting to me, because I also am thinking terror against the Courage 3 army. Oh, yeah. 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 I is, that's interesting. Okay. All right, we're back. We had to take a moment there to take a look because um, upon further investigation, the <laughs> elf captain, also known as Kirdan, is also known as Arrestor. So there, there, is, there is no Kirdan. It's Arrestor way over on the left there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So his heroes are Glorfindel, the twins, and Arrestor. Okay. Makes way more sense why he's over on that side now. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So Sauron didn't join the game until turn three. <laughs> or, we don't we don't know that yet okay <laughs> he may like reveal yet. himself as something else so let's see how this battle report goes yes and you know in my defense this game was after all the nashville hot chicken so my brain was officially <laughs> <laughs> okay so um he's he's deployed in very good position to be able to tag the middle objective the left and right objective he hasn't gotten his back objective yet. I'm deployed on my back objective with a heavy force ready to flank to the right. So once, once we started moving, he brought Glorfindel up and pretty much claimed the center objective. He left six archers on the center objective and then proceeded to march Glorfindel and all the warriors with shields and spears up the middle towards my force. Arrestor on my left side tagged the objective, crossed the bridge, and started marching towards my back battlefield. I had what I'm going to estimate as probably 13 shields and 13 spears, uh, Corsairs, march at the twins. And they stayed, they ended their first move, moving their max within six inches of the twins who had already moved. So end of turn one, I shot somewhere around 26 throwing weapons at the twins, dismounted both of them, and took all the wounds off the twin on the far right bridge. And the other one was uh, thrown and took a wound from the thrown rider test, but faded it out. Yes. At that point, the next turn, Glorfindel continued to march towards me. I then brought my cavalry towards the dismounted twins and the twins went down. So sec, uh, end of first real turn of combat, I now have the bridge and I'm trying to get people across the bridge on my right side. I've tagged my back objective, the right objective, and I'm swarming from my right side coming around the back. He's tagged the middle objective, the left objective, still hasn't got his back objective but Arrestor is converging on the middle. They're doing, I guess you'd call that a pincer move with Arrestor coming around the side, Glorfindel coming up the front. 
And I left my Corsair captain, the Arbalesters, and uh, Dalamir in the middle to take on his two big heavy hitters. Uh, so the next turn, the combats went very heavily to the elves, and I lost a lot of Corsairs. His shooting wasn't doing a lot at that point, but the combats went his way so much that I kind of chickened out and I had a bunch of horses that had already crossed the bridge. I brought half of them back and also brought Suladan back because I was worried about controlling my middle. Um, so the rest of the game consists of grinding it out on my side of the bridge of Khazad-dûm. While that grind out is happening, and I'll get into a few specific cool heroic uh, shenanigans that occurred, all the time that I'm going to describe in future turns of that grind down happening, I flank around, tag his back objective, send horses over to snag the left objective, and I take him on the backside of the Bridge of Khazad-dûm with about four warriors. So... That really doesn't have a lot of action besides moving. Let's talk about the main battle line when Arrester and Glorfindel start the fight right on the steps of my side of the Bridge of Khazad-dûm. Arrester and Glorfindel burn all of their might calling heroic combats. And they wind up just decimating my forces with heroic combats. But I was somewhat okay with it because... I was very happy to see their might going so that I have a strike advantage with my two striking heroes who both had might. Um, we probably played three to four rounds of combat right in the middle. Both of our forces broke. And this is the only game in the tournament where the Corsairs broke uh, from the elves. And it was all and, and keep this in mind, it would not have happened but for all the successful heroic combats with Glorfindel and Arrester. That's what, that's what got him the break. Mm. Once they ran out of might, I had might on my captain, might on my bosun, might on all my big heroes left. So I was automatically winning moves if I lost priority, uncontested. I was able to kill Glorfindel. I trapped him. I was able to kill, not able to kill Arrester, but I wounded him. And I was able to body block his dwarves on the bridge from being able to touch my side objective. So on the last turn of the game, his archers killed my horse who had just showed up to the left side objective. I had just gotten over top of it. His archers killed it, so I didn't tag it. So when the game ended, both forces are broken. I killed his leader. <laughs> I'm just kidding, you crap. You're like, his dwarves running across the bridge. Oh, whatever. You guys know what I mean. His elves <laughs> running across the bridge. Whatever. Everybody listening, we're like all staring at a picture. He's like basically drawing battle plans and battle maps on this. We can see. <laughs> Uh, this is bad. We're just gonna we're just gonna end this bat rep because it's off to a bad start. Anyways, uh, he 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 has the middle objective. Okay, I own the right objective. I own the back objective. I own his back objective. The left objective uh, remained his. Both forces broken. I killed his leader, so that goes a major victory 
to the evil men, the elves, that had uh, a bunch of heroes that turned out to be different heroes that are not dwarves, uh, <laughs> lose. And um, so, qu quick question for you, Matt. You said that he had the middle objective? The middle on the bridge. He, he so that's an, by my calculations, that's an 8-5 victory? Is that correct? Because he scored two points for two objectives and then broke you. That's five points. And you scored three po uh, eight, uh, six points for three objectives, which is six. You broke him and killed his leader. So that's eight. Yeah, let's oh, count that up. So I had hold on. one. How did he get three points two, for breaking Matt, but Matt three. only gets one point for breaking him? No, no, he only gets one point. You only get one point each. So, um, so, he had, so he would have three points total, not five. He had two objectives, the far left and the middle. And he had this one and that oh, one. I yeah. yeah. So eight five. Sounds about right. Okay. So there was a there was a pretty key sequence here that happened at the end though, Matt, on that left objective, right? Yeah, because I had a horse on it and it was if he just finished the turn there, I would have tagged it and the archers shot it. The two bows he had to shoot from the bridge turned around and shot the guy off his horse. Mm -hmm. uh, no. Because that would have been the major, because that would have made it ten to three. Or what, yeah, whatever the score, ten to yep, three. Yeah, ten three. Correct. Converted a major, converted a minor to a major. Mm. Yeah. Now I talked with the guy's those name. Dwarf, those Nathan. dwarf bows, man, you got to watch out yeah, for. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I talked to Nathan afterwards. He's a pretty good dude, and we talked about was it the right thing to burn all the might with the heroic combats because it basically let me dictate the game at the end. I still think it was because if I'd have been able to bring my numbers to bear and start getting a lot of traps, it would have gone bad for him very quickly. And I would have been able to counter charge and take the middle bridge. And then the game's basically over. So it, it's, it's controversial. Maybe have done it a little bit differently, but he did burn up his might really quick with Arrester and Glorfindel. Well, the other thing, too, is he lost his sons right away. That's another six points of might. But I would say it's absolutely worth it because you said it was the reason he broke you, which is the one victory point, which turned it instead of an 8-4, just that one victory point. Mm -hmm. Instead of an 8-4, it was 8-5, so a major to a minor. Yes. Uh, I would say that's a big difference right there. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yep, I, I I love that that board too, that Bridge of Cause of Doom. I actually think it's very cool, but I hate it for scenario play. It just yeah. messes with you. Not yeah, you all well because you have so much cav too. I would see that being really frustrating. Yeah, it's hard to get around. Yeah, very cool. For dwarves, say, it works great. He did say it's the only time in the world where he's seen things run their full distance and then get. 26 shots off, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the Corsairs, those nasty things. All right, um, well, well done, Matt. Very good job. And moving on, we have game four for Marcus. Well, and let's set up the, so, I mean, obviously it's a tournament we're trying to win it all. Let's set up the podium run. So Matt goes from 1-1-1 day one to starting off day two with a clutch win. So he's now 2-1-1 pairing up very nicely to sub into the last game where major victory, you're now in the hunt for podium, depending on what happens. Hmm. That would make you 3-1-1. You're right, because you've only suffered one loss, technically. Yep. Yes. And he pulled out a... He pulled, so the, that's the other thing. Because the Goblin Town... So day one, Goblin Town ran the board. There was another Durin player that ran the board. 
I was two majors, one major loss. And there were a lot of people who finished either two, one with a minor or one and two. And so Matt squeaking out with that draw in the middle gives you two tournament points. So he was actually ahead of everybody to start the day. That's all great, but I'm still going to slap him because that one major loss was because he didn't read the scenario. (laughs) That should have been a major win turned into a major loss. All right, I'm, I'm moving on. <laughs> so my game four was super interesting. Again, uh, Matt, it's the board you played on the outside the Lonely Mountain. Um, it was Capture and Control. We talked about that. I was playing a Alliance. It was Gladriel with some Lothlorien. A decent amount of foot soldiers, uh, sword and shield in the front with uh, Gladrium Court Guard, the fight six pikemen. Uh, he had five or six of those guys, so a decent shield block with Gladriel. It was a two-hero army, two-warband army. The other hero was Elrond with ten Rivendell Knights, and one of those Rivendell Knights had a banner. Uh, so super elite, um, fast movie punchy list against my 35 dwarfs. So and a green alliance. And a green alliance. So the, the right off the bat, I'm thinking this is going to be a very passive game from him. He's got 11 mounted units. I have 5-inch moving dwarves. This is a wide open map. It's going to be tough. So I fan out pretty wide all across the um, deployment zone because it's a 24-inch deployment. I get... I think it's 24 inches, right? It's a, on a 1-3, to three, you have to deploy on the middle... Uh, 12 inch oh, yeah, yeah. line right. on a four, five, on six, a four, you five, can six. deploy on your back 12 inch. Got it. So I deployed on the middle cause I wanted to, to delete as much of the board as possible. Uh, and so as a result, he deployed pretty passively, um, pretty far back actually. So right off the bat, I captured all three objectives across the middle line of the board, plus my back objective and started marching forward. He corralled, he started corralling into his corner of the board setting up a position where he could either go left or right. There was, there were some rocky ruins, uh, ruined tower terrain features that he was trying to weave around and use as a, a barrier, really setting up the fact for as soon as he had an opening, he would blitz knights around edges and then go grab all the objectives that I had previously captured all while shooting with his Rivendell knights. Cause remember, um, within the leader, they reroll all hits and, um, I think that's if they're stationary, though, right? If they're stationary. So it's like sit and shoot. And as and then, then when I come up, you can still move five inches. You're hitting on fours. Uh, yeah, um, that's... Plus, you have uh, the ability to move ten inches in blitz. And you have lances, your higher fight value. And Elrond's got Nature's Wrath. So I'm I'm thinking I'm barreling towards... <laughs> I'm barreling towards a death ball. Because um, all his knights <laughs> were... Is bunched up. Anyways. Um, I... I get a little bit crazy right off the bat. So I deploy that middle line. And I ran uh, basically like clusters of three. I ran a cluster of three all the way around on the left side, thinking that they'll run around this little train feature here, but I'm going to eventually block off an escape route there. Same thing on the other half of the board. And then my three heroes, I lined up kind of moving towards um, the middle pathway straight at his warband. So trying to get to where he has to pick a side and then I can and respond. Again, he's got nature's wrath. So I'm thinking... Watch out for Nature's Wrath. Watch that blitz because he could run up Nature's Wrath, lances, combat, and then get around me. While we're correcting, it's Wrath of Bruinen. 
If I'm going to correct Matt, I got to correct you. Thank you. Oh, Rather, yeah, Rather <laughs> Brunin. Thank right, gosh, Matt. Marcus. Get it We've together. been talking. <laughs> we've been talking so much about uh, Radagast the Brown. So, yes. Okay, no so Rather Brunin. The spell that knocks me over. <laughs> so I'm worried about that coming at me. I actually get to a point where I finally get within charge range. So once I move, he could counter charge. And I proceed to lose, or no, I proceed to win priority three times in a row. I'm just looking for a priority where I can lose and force him to move first. Mm. No, I'm always moving first. I call for the first time ever, ever in a game, I call Heroic Resolve with my king. So the point where I run up, I, uh, I had positioned the king just so the six inch would reach forward and grab my front line. And so I have uh, Resolve to protect against the fact, like, could he counter charge? I would at least have one dice to help. And also, remember, he's got Gladriel too. So he was trying to pop off the compel to get guys to move in and out. Um, he was trying to do that. He So the turn I called the resolve, he didn't um, he didn't countercharge with Elrond. That uh, allowed me at least one turn to, to get past some choke points and then reform a line to really even things out. And at that point, he retreated all the way back to the very corner of the board. So this is like four or five turns of crazy movement, crazy deployment, pretty uninteresting from a listening perspective. Remember, he's shooting this whole time, and he is just decimating my my uh, dwarves. Yeah, strength three bows on D7. Oh, and so many hits. Ten, Really, it was almost ten hits per turn when he didn't move. So I'm, I'm really getting low on numbers. Um, so let's, let's fast forward to more of the end game. I keep moving forward, and I'll have some pictures to share at the end to kind of rapid-fire explain this, but I keep moving forward. I get him into the box, and I finally make it to where he can't escape the box. So he realizes he's got to engage to try and punch through. He punches. He charges into combat. I weather that first turn, but I was able to kind of position Durin within that threat zone. So it's it's basically Elrond launching in against Durin. Um supporting heroes all have might to try and do that counter move so there is definitely heroic moves being called Durin, um not from a kill perspective he didn't really do much because elrond the elven weapon fight six um neither one of us we did have one combat where we both uh, were engaged and his buddy with the lance he had one night with him nobody struck i was just really relying on that d9 no victory points for getting your leader killed or wounded. So I, I didn't think he would be able to kill him, but unfortunately Durin did lose the combat. Staved off, staved off dying, but was really that thorn in the side plugging a, a, a critical gap so he couldn't get through. So then he tried to bounce around and that ended up being the key, um, the key loss for him because it made him bubble one extra turn. So now remember, we this very move heavy game, not a lot of combats, lots of shooting. We had that two hour and 30 minute time limit we were getting dangerously close to that two hour and 30 minute time limit. So um, that last turn, once he bubbled back to try and run around because he couldn't punch through Durin's um, gap, Durin's terrain piece, I knew he wouldn't be able to get to the objective. So then I quickly started retreating to make sure I could stay on, um, on at least a majority of the objectives. He outplayed me. So I, again, I said earlier, there were boneheaded plays I made every single game. One of them was forgetting to use Durin's reroll priority ability every single game. So <laughs> that's one boneheaded play. The other boneheaded play is, again, I'm going to pull these pictures up now. 
Um, there was the there was the objective that starts on his board half that I had comfortably captured, but I ended up retreating, being like stupid subconsciously, maybe or just consciously. I retreated back to the point where he was able to contest that objective, and with uh, winning combats, he actually won the objective. So I gave up two free points, which was stupid um, from a scoring perspective at the end of the game. I'm sharing it now. You can kind of see how I was fanning out with yeah. these guys and his knights were trying to dance in and around. Um, this is the objective I screwed up, his back one. I had, at one point, I ran past it by two or three inches uh, and ended up retreating to try and make sure I could cover these two objectives and this objective from his knights running. They eventually made a break for it and ran around this way. Um, those are some of the same. Not a lot. All of these pictures are kind of the same dancing back and forth he went at one point he went all the way to the middle forcing me mm -hmm. seeing if i was going to come this way i rallied i didn't charge i i resisted so many times getting into combat i i kept backing up if he charged me i would back up a few inches uh so i played very passively while keeping the net um the same i guess uh this last object you can see i'm way past his objective on his side this is mine and this is where I started to back up to reform a line, stupidly. This is where his knights, you can see they're running around. This is the last turn. They're about to blitz this poor guy here. And so maybe this is where I'll stop it. So you can see Dern's in this gap right here. This is where yep. he stopped Elrond. They had to bubble around this last terrain piece. Um, so scoring, we, we hear last turn called. Scoring is I have comfortably three objectives. He's got one. So that's what, six to two. He's broken me. I have not broken him, so that's six to four, right? Am I counting that correctly? I think so. Uh, say, sorry, sorry, say that again. So he, he broke you and wounded he, your leader? Uh, no points for wounding leader on this one. Yeah, there is on capture there control. Is. One yeah. point. There's only one point if the enemy force is broken at the end of the game and one point if you wound the leader. Uh, all the other points are two points for each object objective. Oh, then that's what he had then. So six, four, right, at the end of this. So I have three objectives. He's got one. He's broken me and he's wounded Durin. Okay. Yep. Six, four. So I, I misspoke earlier. So it's all, it's this side objective right here. The, we had ruled that these rocky terrains were difficult. So it prevented him from totally swarming this guy because his cavalry wouldn't have gotten their chance, their charge and lance bonuses. Um, so he, he ended up charging my dwarf in this rocky terrain, trapping him, but it was two knights against one Khajiit guard no charging bonuses because we're all in difficult terrain and um he wins the he wins the duel two dice to one dice and he can't kill him hmm. so my dwarf survives and nice. i believe if you correct me on that that turns this objective neutral instead of going one way or the other yep. so this objective goes neutral so the final score ends up being six to four very cool i was that was the question i had so you had four objectives one turn neutral in the end which is why you had three i was wondering why you were only counting three yep. but that makes sense yeah this last objective and so that was the huge thing we saved this combat for last it was the last combat of the game to see if he could kill me because if he would have killed me it would have mm -hmm. flipped to him and it would have been a 6-6 six, six tie um but he he couldn't he couldn't get the kill the d7 held nice very cool so, very it was, very very cool Again, probably a boring game to listen to, but from a movement perspective, holy cow. Khazad, Doom, Dwarves. I didn't call March at all because I wanted to save the might. I called it Resolve, whatever. Um, just getting shot at. It was moving back and forth, weaving in and out, resisting the urge to charge because 
by the time I got within charge range, he had shot quite a decent number. I think I've got a death tally. Like those are all my dead dudes with only like <laughs> oh, two or man. three turns of con- combat. What is that? Three, six, nine, 12, 15, 15 of my 35 guys. Wow. So that's not the final count. Cause he broke me a- at the end, but, um, that's a pretty good general feat when you think of the matchup in this scenario with a wide open board, Rivendell Knights versus Dwarves. That's that's a good feat of generalship to corral that. Yeah, hold it back and make sure you're you're taking the scenario. It it was close and it, it ended up working out. So it was it was a fun game to play. The guy I'd never played him before. He's from Philly, one of the Philly group members that were there. Um, yeah, it it was a it was a great game. It was it was fun, super challenging. But uh, yeah, so I first game of day two started with a win. So now I'm three and one, two majors, one minor win and one major loss. So looking really good for the last the last round. Very cool. Very awesome. And uh, well played. I did. I did. I think uh, we should do the pictures more often. And anytime we go to a tournament, I think we should all make a commitment to take a snapshot of the board before we play. Because I think this has been really helpful for those who are listening. It, hopefully we're describing it really well. But if you're watching this on YouTube, I think it's quite helpful and gives me a lot. I'm more of a visual person, but something I'm taking away. Yeah. All right. Last game. This is it. Last, last input. We got Matt on game five. And what is the scenario? Game five is Assassination. Ooh, uh, another new one. Yes. So I'm playing the Isengard army that Marcus described earlier. And it, it's it's uh, Isengard hodgepodge. I don't know if we used that reference earlier, but it was a very strange mix. But it was actually pretty cool. It worked well when it played. The board we were on was uh, Mordor under the Tower of Baradur. So it was the uh, it was the table that was being recorded. So I'm... I, I'm looking forward to being able to watch the video of that once it's edited because uh, we'll, we should be uh, able to get a video recap of that. But um, Ooh, the Twin Towers. One. Oh. Yeah. And it, it was really a beautiful board. I mean, one yeah, side has the this Eye of Sauron. Yeah, and that's actually a dice tray um, that they raffled away at the end. Oh, whoa. That Drop is it super down the cool. Tower. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it, it just oh. had like awesome terrain that like had little hills that had like these uh, orc camps with little fences and, and, uh, and lava pits. Mention, you didn't even mention the black gate that's casually sitting behind. <laughs> well, and the re- the reason I didn't is when we played the games, they took the gate off. That was for a siege okay. event, and when we played, there was no gate. But yeah, the black gate is awesome. So, um, cool. So on assassination, uh, I made Suladan my assassin, and I picked Malher as my target. And I'll just try and quickly remind everybody, Malher was leading a bunch of scouts. Sharku was in his army, had a bunch of warg riders. He had Lurts uh, with a bunch of uh, warriors and a troll. And then he had Verascu, I think, as the, the Urukai crossbow guy who had some, uh, some scout archers and some crossbows. Um, I lined up my army. Uh, you know, it's alternating war bands. It looks like Sorry, you have a question. Who, who, are you, who are you trying to kill? I missed that part. So you're Malher. Malher was your target to assassinate. Okay. Yes. That, that's a, I, I'm just commending you on this choice. I'm really interested on the tactics, but I commend you on this choice because I believe he does not have strike. That is correct. Uh, so, but he's also D5 with two wounds, one fate. But you know he's going to be in combat because he's a strength 5, 3 attacked hero. 
So, that's yes. that's kind of what I thought. I thought he's yes. going to want to get the benefit out of that, and he's probably going to think I'm going for Sharku, and either way. But I, I thought I have a pretty good chance of of getting Maher. I like it. So when we start deploying, uh, I I won priority, so I deployed first, and I put my captain about. 12 inches back from the center line in the middle uh, with the ability to have a gun line that had eye of sight across the entire battlefield. So he then deployed Verascu with all of his defense four, defense five, whatever they are, archers uh, right in front of him. And then as soon as he did that, he said, well, I don't know why I did that because that's not a good scenario for me. Um, shooting against my d6 so then i put on right side of board right up against the board edge uh dalamir and his corsairs he matched it with lertz right up against him then i put my bosun off to the left of the corsair gun line right at the middle he matched it with sharku then I put Soladan right in front of Sharku, and he put down Mahur on my far left side of board, just to just to my left of Suladan. Nice. Yes. I'm already so, seeing where this is going. Yep. So he's like, well, we're going to get into combat quick because I don't want those crossbows messing with me. So the very first turn, he, it was, it was interesting. He couldn't get his troll into combat. But he engaged quite a bit of my Corsairs on the right side of the board. And he staggered his line. So imagine he was able to get some of his warriors into combat on the right side of the board. And the ones that he wasn't, he left a diagonal line kind of in a defensive shield wall so that I would have to charge. And he stuck his troll out to protect them. And he did not charge Dalamir. So my very first turn, Dalamir charged the troll and smoke bombed him. I wasn't able to trap the troll, but I got the captain, Dalamir, and probably f three warriors on the troll. Uh, in the middle, cavalry engaged, and I was trying to play it cool. I was, I was talking out loud using my voice of Saruman technique <laughs> from the Green Dragon, and I was thinking, man, Sharku, I said, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get Sharku to try and get me to to try and get a wound with Suladan so you can get that stupid rule to, to get an unearned wound on Suladan. Nice try. It's not going to work. So then I move Suladan casually over to the left towards Mauer. <laughs> um, and it's going to be <clears throat> very hard to describe all the intricacies because just imagine we all have high model count armies, lots of cavalry on each side, and... It's basically just early on a mash. The things that matter. Troll goes down the first round of combat. I had to use a point of might with Dalamir for the final wound to kill the troll. The next turn on that right side, Lurts gets into Dalamir. And Dalamir didn't get a smoke bomb off on Lurts. Uh, I got the captain and the bosun with his spear support in on Lurts. When it came time for combats, I struck 
and he chose not to strike with Lurtz. So Lurtz loses the combat, but miraculously doesn't die. From that point on, I knew I had a wound on the leader. I ignored Lurtz the rest of the time and just tied him up with warriors. Now, go middle side. I am not making a lot of headway with my main cavalry contingent because I'm charging against his cavalry, so I'm not getting my typical bonuses. So that's kind of a standoff. Each turn, we probably each lose a cavalry unit. Not a lot, but slowly dwindling our cavalry. On the side with Mauher, Mauher always had a couple warriors, and it was a very tight alleyway to get in that you couldn't get more than one horse through. So each turn, I'm having this debacle. Do I heroic combat with Suladan, showing my hand that I desperately want to get Suladan into Mauher and risk Mauher running away, or do I play it cool? I opt to play it cool, and every turn, I'm killing like one warrior with Suladan, waiting for an opportunity for heroic combat to go off to get into Mauher. Um, as the game progresses, uh, time is dwindling, and it becomes clear this game is going to end because of time, not because of natural conclusion is what it looked like. Um, so my bosun and my captain are holding down the middle. On the right side, I've pretty much got it cleaned up. Lurtz is running towards the middle, so I start to bring uh, Dalamir back towards the middle. Um, Ugluck winds up going down. Not Ugluck, uh, Verascu, excuse me. Verascu winds up going down in combats. I have not lost a ton of people, but he's now broken. Not taking courage tests because of the Isengard rule, but he's broken. The very last turn of the game... He gets Sharku into my bosun, and I got Dal uh, Suladan into Maher. And I have no more might left with Suladan, so I can't strike, so it's tied fight. And they're like, last turn. And I ask him, I said, all right, I'm guessing the bosun's your target. And he goes, yes. And I said, uh, Maher's my target. He's like, oh, I said, is Sharku your assassin? Yes. And he goes, is Suladan your assassin? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <clears throat> I love it. A anticipation yeah. building up now for the roles. <laughs> yes. So it came down to epic conclusion. Um, <clears throat> I was able to kill Mauher. So I got the seven VPs for that. I broke him. Uh, he was able to kill the bosun, so he got seven for that. I wounded his leader. He did not wound mine, and he did not break me. So I took the win on the very last game. An 11-7 win, mm -hmm. by my calculation? Wow. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Epic fashion on that last turn. I love the anticipation of you both revealing your cards, and you're like, okay, now when we both roll this dice, we're both... Uh, looking at it in, with intense. And awesome. the, the drama that came down to it is I was, I was doing everything I could to like put the odds in my favor. It came down to a roll off on both the captain and the bosun with the fight value, the way it worked out. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> Not the captain it, with the bosun and, uh, uh, Suladan. Oh, okay. So both came down to a roll off. So we yeah. each won the, it, each won it. So yes. that's, yeah. that's, 
dramatic very, fashion. Marcus got to observe that one. That's yeah, awesome. I saw the end of that game. Very, was, very cool. Uh, but again, another, you quartered him, right? So that was another game where the Corsairs quartered yes. your enemy. Yes. Wow. So that was all five games, right? Well, um, I don't think it came to its natural conclusion, but I was very close to quartering them because I think the well, game ends at quarter, doesn't it? No, no the game ends four, at one of two. Once, yeah, once oh, you start okay. then, then, then yes, I, I, he was taking courage tests at the end. I think I did quarter him. Wow. So you played five games with a, a D4 army. You quartered all five of your opponents and only broke yourself once. That says something about the army. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Last game, Marcus. What you got? So my last game, it's on the same board that I played Goblin Town. Well, played Goblin Town, right? So you've seen a picture of it already. Very open board. Assassination against Cause of Doom led by Durin. (laughs) A king's champion as support. (laughs) Um, But he had a dwarf captain. So it was basically we both had Durin. We both had a king's champion. I had a dwarf king. He had a dwarf captain. I had super, we both had 12 hearth guard, or maybe he had 10 hearth guard. We both had a decent chunk of hearth guard. Uh, and then the differences were he brought, I think two or three or four sets of vault warden teams with a couple dwarf rangers. I think five, four or five dwarf rangers sprinkled in. And I obviously went heavy with the, just the cause of guard and a few iron guard. I love the uh, vault. Wardens. Yeah. So Durin versus Durin. Uh, and again, I'm thinking, so this this guy, um, Alisher, he was also doing very well. He had played, he got three victories the first day. He played Goblin Town on the game right before this for capturing control, got a minor loss. So he is second place right now overall. And I think I'm, I'm doing well. I've got to be fourth or third in the overall standings coming out of the last game. So definitely thinking with a major win, I'm in contention for uh, a podium for the podium and the goblin. So game five, Goblin Town, just for some tournament antics, I guess. Goblin Town was facing um, as Goldor. Yes, but Marcus, weren't you in second because you were top table, so you had to be in second. So I it was. I, Alisher was second. I think I was third. So I think it was the Goblin Town guy was undefeated. I'm, I'm blanking on his name. I'm going to have to go back and look this up. So Goblin Town was undefeated 4-0, um, but with three majors, one minor. Alisher, the other Durin player, was 3-1. and one. I was 3-1. and one. And the Necromancer of Dol Guldur was also, I think, either... He was right around that same place. But because uh, Durin and and the Goblin Town army had just played each other, even though they were still first and second, they couldn't play each other again. So I played Durin, and I had already played Goblin Town. So I played Durin, and then the Goblin Town army played um, fourth, which is the Necromancer. The Necromancer. So some, some, somehow those antics worked out. That's, that was the matchup. So, okay, open board. Um, who says you don't like a good wall smash? Literally, we just lined up two beautiful lines of dwarves and marched straight at each other. He uh, was walking a little bit slower with some dwarf rangers, or maybe he was just tactically positioning because he was firing some shots. And true to form, Mitchell, I did you proud. I pulled the biggest boneheaded Durin play of all time. What do you do with Durin that you can never do with Durin? Oh, Put here's a great front. picture. 
Look at this. Yeah, this is just the dwarf line smash. Look at those plumes. Oh, yes. Sorry, we're looking at a picture. I'm reliving okay. the glory days. All right. Okay, so what do you never do with Durin? Don't put him out in front. Don't put him out in front. So turn two. I think it was turn two. <laughs> turn two, guys. Dwarf Ranger looks at an Iron Guard who is actually somewhat behind Durin, and he targets the Iron Guard. Rolls a hit. Goes for the in the way. Oops. Hits Durin. Oh, well. Dwarf Bow is strength two, or the Ranger Bow is strength two against defense nine. What do you need? Sixes by sixes. What does this stupid dwarf (laughs) freaking bowman do? Rolls double sixes, wounds Durin. I fail my fury. I was like, well, one in six chance. Fail that. And I fail my fate. I roll like a one on the fate. So Durin's down to two wounds. Victory point scored literally before we even got to combat. I literally thought of you, Mitchell, and I was like, how many times have I told you, don't tempt fate. Don't put Durin out in the front row. And he wasn't even shooting at him. That was That's what made it funny. He was yes. shooting at the freaking iron guard that I was hiding behind Durin. Ah! Okay, so we get we combat lines clash. Um, Durins were fairly close to each other, but away from each other where we weren't necessarily risking open combat there. On the left side, I'm, from my perspective, on the left side of the battle line. On the right side of the battle line, our King's Champions are, are setting up. The banners had deployed on both sides to be strategic and cover the most amount of the board. So King's Champions are almost mono mono not directly in combat, but um, close to it. And in the middle, his Dwarf Captain is holding down the middle. My Dwarf King is holding down the middle. Now let me pause here because I also forgot to say um, the assassination rules. I chose... I chose my king's champion to be the assassin. Which and he I chose, probably did the same. Right. And I thought that was pretty self-explanatory. Why yeah. would you not strength five? Strength five, six. Yeah. Strength five, three attacks, fight six with a strike. Yeah. So our assassins were king's champions. Okay. And I chose the dwarf captain to fight be five, my target. Fight five, no strike. Makes sense. And he did have a shield. But, yep. Fight five, no strike. Um, and realistically right he's going to choose my dwarf king because why would you risk it with the banners and their fate that's going to be a really hard person to kill yeah so that's how it sets up we got the three heroes we uh go into several rounds of combat now i would say our kill counts were pretty even remember he is hearth guard so we are super tough defense but so many wounding bonuses we both reroll ones we both have hearth guard were either of you piercing striking? Were either of you doubling down on your kill? <laughs> uh, not. No, not really. Okay. You're just both saying we're both going to get fives and that's what we get. Yeah. The, the one difference is, so for this game, his, his Vault Wardens overall for the tournament did really well. Um, they didn't do great here because I got some Hearth Guard into the Vault Wardens right away mm-hmm. and whittled down their numbers. So I killed the shields pretty quick and I, I dismantled those Vault Warden teams. And so, and I even got, I was pestering his, his spears. I don't even remember his, his foe spears being able to support a lot of heroes. So the vault warden teams went down. So that's a, that's a points chunk Mm. from a kill tally. We were pretty even going through the middle phase of the game. And then once we get towards the middle to the end game, my elite troops start really taking over on the kill count. So we go from, we are almost neck and neck to the model. So we're almost neck and neck from a total model count. We're almost neck and neck from a kill tally. Once we both break, that's where things went lopsided for me in a big way. 
Um, I had a few more hearth guard. I think I had two, maybe two more total hearth guard. But the difference was my Khazad guard and iron guard versus his dwarf warriors or dwarf rangers. The kill potential just wasn't there once we started going 1v1. Because, um, again, I'm needing fives to wound, yeah. maybe fours, and he's needing sixes still. Typically, so, when I when I play Vault Wardens, sorry. Um, typically, when I play Vault Wardens, what I actually end up doing is I actually send the shields off on the flanks by themselves, and they're just going to shield the whole game. Yeah, they get the minus one. But then send the foe spears to back up my hearth guard to give them the extra attacks. But based on the picture you saw, it seems like they went down the middle. And uh, I wouldn't do that against hearth guard that get plus one to wound and uh, re-rolling ones. No, and I'm sure he thought the same thing, quality player, as we'll see. But um, he, they were shielding. They were in a position where they were shielding and stunting Durin. So Durin never had an opportunity. Oh, to I we'll see. We'll talk about this just because with everybody saying how sucky Durin is these days, I have a couple observations after playing a whole tournament with them. But um, they were totally blocking his ability to hero combat. Okay. So. Um, Okay, so let's get to the middle phase. The, the, the key thing that happened. So talking about tactics in a tournament game, uh, Matt, you talked about the fact that when you were waiting to launch at your assassin, you were playing it cool, Voice of Saruman. I risk being blatantly obvious because I misjudge. Normally, I'm pretty good when you look at a, a space I'm usually pretty spot on when I can judge whether or not that's a movable space. And I totally blundered um, a space gap. So what happened? Durin is sitting in the middle of the line. And so Durin is migrated to the, in my middle, his Durin is migrated to the side. So now he's basically got his King's champion and Durin almost side by side. His dwarf captain is staying in the back, right? So it's, he's now given away. I'm protecting my dwarf captain. Um, Durin gets within heroic combat strike range of the captain. So it would have been, I charge in with a hearth guard, kill my target, and then catapult forward through this gap straight to the dwarf captain. And to that point, uh, I'm winning the might battle. I've really been conservative with my might. I can call a heroic move. And even if I lose, I'm still going to be neck and neck. I'm in his back line. I'm chasing his captain. If you go back to that picture, you can probably, I think that was actually really close to the point when we called, um, this maneuver but long story short i mismeasured the gap and so i could not fit durin through the freaking gap to go get the captain so i didn't end up calling the heroic combat because i figured it out before that but based on that whole shenanigans of really focusing on that gap and that distance because it was four and three quarter inches away um totally blew the cover on who i was going for so in terms of playing it cool or going um or blitzing I should have played it cool. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I should have played it cool. Wait, maybe waited one more turn, waited for a different opening before blitzing with Durin. So totally backfired. At that point, I doubled down and I was like, okay, I'm going to go for quarry. I'm going to go for numbers. I'm just going to try to totally overwhelm him to where I can swarm and get the captain. We now are at the break point. We're rolling. And I'm hoping the game doesn't end because it would be like, what, two to one? We're broken. I got to check at the victory points really quick. Uh, one point for wounding a leader, one point for breaking. Okay, so uh, it would have been two to one at this point. Okay. I, and it might have been the turn before or the turn after. Durin, his Durin, gets into combat with my Dwarf King. Wounds them. So now, that's a point for wounding his target, 
Yep. So now we're talking, we're dealing with 3-1, I'm on my heels. And it's unofficial, but I'm pretty sure 3-1 the score. Okay, so let's late game phase. My king gets out of there. I bail like crazy. I can't get him killed. He's got one wound left, no fate. Um, our king's champions have done a lot of combats in and around each other in our banners. Ironically, I, I, we could have chosen our banners for targets, right? Yes. Neither one of us did. Just because oh, okay. of the way the day felt, it just didn't seem plausible. And the way we were positioning our banners, it also seemed like both of us uh, hadn't gone for that route. Yes, I know we could have targeted them, but well, they, were, and they were being deployed tactically. tactically. And, and typically in this scenario, even though you, you, you want your banners spread out in this scenario, you bunch them all together. Because then all three, the both banners and the King's Champion get D9 and they all share fate. Well, the banners don't share it with each other, but still two fate on a D nine hero. Uh, yeah. I, I see why you wouldn't select those. As well, and we target. were both, we were both playing it the same way. We both kept one banner with the King's champion for fate plus one defense and the other banner covered the other arm, other part of the army. Okay. So we were both playing literally the exact same tactics there. Late game, my King champion are my King's champion. and His King champion are basically stalling out against each other. I am now drastically winning the numbers battle. On my left flank, I'm winning like crazy. I start to bring winning warriors. They're killing and moving. So I'm starting to collapse the net. I'm starting to compress. My Durin charges over. Now I'm just beelining. Uh, I think there's one might of point, one point of might left on the board. I'm beelining for his captain. His captain is running out of places to hide. He's trying to ball up in the middle of the formation. My Dwarf King is off on my back flank. His Durin is locked in the middle. I'm able to kite again because I have... I remembered this time, finally, to use his priority reroll um, successfully, actually. So I'm able to keep his Durin kited in the middle. He's out of might, so he's really only able to kill one um, troop a game uh, per turn. Sorry. And um, we get three... We have three roll-offs on the does the game end. And all three of them, the game keeps going. And I'm... Yes, like I've got a chance. So we get to the point where I am trying to lock up bodies because I'm, I'm blitzing for his target. My Dwarf King with one wound left charges an Iron Guard. Not an Iron Guard, Cossack Guard. So I've got to lock him up. I can't have him moving. And I get the... I might be messing this up, the sequence, by maybe it spanned two turns, but this is essentially what happened. My Dwarf King charges a Cossack Guard. My Durin, my King's Champion, and a banner bearer charge his dwarf captain in a trap. And it is a trap against a comp. So there's a 1v1 combat right next to the dwarf captain. And then I charge those three hero models into the dwarf captain. Remember, I fight five, fight six, wounding bonuses, trap bonuses, hot dog. Um, lock up the other models. And again, it's I think he's quartered at this point, And I still have, I've got... Um, I want to say a 30 or 40% model advantage on him. There's a lot of two to ones. He's, he can't defend choke points. Control zones don't matter anymore. I've got it. We go into the fight phase. Dwarf King loses the combat to the Kazakh guard. Kazakh guard kills the Dwarf King. No. Ah, there's five victory points, but so not he... to worry because guys, it's okay. Who was my assassin? You've got your, your assassin on him. You've got seven your, points ready to go. Your piercing, striking, wounding on fives, traps with six attacks. Exactly. 
what does numbnuts over here do? <laughs> I activate the combat next to the Dwarf King first. Oh, you lose your trap. It's the trap. And he looks at me after the combat and he just, he gives me one of those. Oh, you poor noob. I'm sorry. It was like heartbreaking. Um, so we go to that combat next. Now I'm just about ready to crush. I'm about ready to like create a new crater in one of these boards. Uh, I go to the dwarf captain. He shields. I win the combat. And all of my wounding bonuses, I put two wounds on the dwarf captain. He has no might left. So it comes down to a fate roll. Does he get it? He yes, does. he gets it. Gets it. Uh, he wins the following priority. That dwarf captain runs right away. <laughs> he locks up everybody that's within charge range. We go, I think it's maybe another turn. We actually had played quite a few turns while we were both broken. Um, he he did not have models at all. But that dwarf captain ran into difficult terrain. So he was without it. He's out of charge range. Then he went into difficult terrain. So there was no chance I could have caught him. Maybe if I would have had two turns of priority in a row. In a row. But um, sure enough, that following turn, we rolled the one. The game ended. And it's natural conclusion. So I want to make sure I do him justice on the final score. So he wounded Durin. That's a victory point. Yep. He killed his target, but he did not kill his target with um, his assassin. So I think that's five victory points. Correct. So that's a total of six. And he broke me. So that's a total of seven victory points for him. Okay. I, in my stubborn glory, broke him for one point. Okay. I wounded the target. I did not with, kill him. But you wounded I, him with your target, right? Did you I didn't? Insult to injury. Um, so the way it would... The, let's assume I did this perfectly and I was actually thinking the fate that he rolled blocked the King's Champion's wound. So, so they each put one wound on and he blocked the yeah. King's Champion's wound. Yeah. Uh, so that's two. So, so seven, two. So seven to two, I lost that game. Uh, if I would have gotten the trap, so we were talking about this. If I would have gotten the trap, would have killed him. That would have been seven victory points plus one. So I would have had eight. Yep. So I eight. would have been flirting with a minor win potentially. Um, yeah, but just so many, so many boneheaded plays. One, getting Dern wounded, playing stupid, playing laissez-faire. It definitely burned me. Two, being way too aggressive with going for the captain in that middle when I thought I had a chance to put a lot of pressure on him. Because his flanks were, he was starting to feel, at that point, he was starting to feel the pressure of losing model counts. Uh, yeah, and just, oh my goodness, messing up that order of operations. How mm. critical. I haven't done something that stupid in a long time. And it, it totally cost me the game. And totally cost me a shot at podium. podium so he... So here's an interesting rules thing that we can take because, you know, we're a competitive podcast. So had you not activated the other model and you maintain the traps in this scenario, I would roll Durin's and the King's champion dice together. That way, if Durin did three wounds on the captain, you'd say, no, my King's champion got wounds as well. And I'm taking those first. I'd roll them at the same time with not having the trap. I would have rolled Durin's first and then ask him, are you going to fate? And then well, roll the King's champion. Is that? Well, so see, I, then, it, well, well, just going back at what the results were. So Durin did one wound. So he just says, no, I'm not going to fate it. 
And then he's going to wait and see what the King's Champion does. Because if the King's Champion only does one wound, then yeah. he'll fade it. Because he's already killed his target at that point. Yeah. He's yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. But I guess if there was might on the board left, it it might have a factor. Because if, if Durin had, let's say if the King's Champion had a bunch of might... And he chose not. I mean, I don't know I, that it would I, ever make a difference. But I think, I think the big key is if it was trapped, the only major st- tactical thing is you would want to roll them all at the same time. That way, Durin doesn't accidentally kill the dude before the king's champion gets a swap. I so let's think about this because I Matt, I'm probably messing this up. But if I was the person who was getting attacked, you have to roll the dice separately because Durin's got a wounding bonus and the king's champion has a different strength. Neither one have might. Yep. I would not have let my opponent roll the dice all at once because the wounding, the order of wounding is important in the sequence. I would have made him roll the heroes independently and resolve their strikes independently. So we could, so there would be no doubt on the order of wounds being inflicted. I would agree with that because that way there's no controversy of whatsoever of who did what at what time. Um, I could see I could see the other side of them saying, well, if you can use might at the same time and all that and roll at the same time, you should be able to do that. But then there's also discrepancy of, okay, but at what order did they land? You don't know. And so just to eliminate all controversy whatsoever, I would force them to roll one at a time in that case. It's yeah. a it's a tough situation. Actually, the, the favor goes to the defender in that standpoint because um, the attacker is trying to play, okay – um, should I risk rolling the guy who's not my assassin? And if I kill him, then I lose out on the max VPs or should I risk using my assassin, but not kill him, um, with it? Yeah. I think favor goes to the defender in that one. I've had, I've actually played the scenario where that exact situation happens. I go for, I go first and I accidentally put too many wounds on the person. Mm-hmm. And he opts to forego using fate, so he dies with fate on the board to prevent the assassin from the chance of getting more victory points. Yeah, smart. But yeah, I well, and remember. and think about the the odds of that too. Your dwarf king, your fight six, two attacks, um, loses. I mean, it happens. It does. I but... attempted fate twice, twice, guys, in things that I normally don't like. I'm. I normally don't play like that. Like, you got top just, table jitters. Ah, oh, maybe that's what I choked. I choked hard. Um, so I lost. I fell from the throne of graces, and we can go over final standings. But um, that put me to three. Made that put me to three wins: two major wins, one minor win, and two major losses. And that second major loss, oh man, I fell. I fell all the way down to sixth place to end the to end the tournament. Mm-hmm. Six out of eighteen. Six out of eighteen. Uh, that that sucks too about the way they do this too, because I it makes sense, but it also sucks when you're toying with top table and then all of a sudden you take a loss and you drop to six and you're like, oh, but I was up there. I really was doing, you know, I. Uh, and then Matt, you finished with two major wins, one minor win, one tie, and one major loss. Uh, that sounds right. Okay, and what did what was the position you ended with? I ended in fourth place. Fourth place. So actually, not too bad. I mean, we traveled across the country, and you guys finished top ten. You're top six, actually. So both of you, that's well done. If yeah, I, I will just say- read the scenario. What <laughs> might have been? Yeah, but you're really kicking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if for all those people who think uh, you know Duran sucks and he's horrible, I'm never going to get over this. Uh, Duran actually ended up winning the tournament. So that that army that I played, he took first place. So 
Nice. There were two Durin players, and we both did. I'm going to say we both did better than 50%, but uh, one of us did <laughs> the tournament, and one of us did. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So Durin sucks. Just kidding. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. And again, it was so fascinating to. Matt and I talked about this a lot after the whole event. Um, 18 players. There really wasn't a lot of shooting armies. Matt, I think your army was the most shooty. Mm-hmm. There were two blinding lights the Shadow Lord plus. Gladriel. Gladriel. Uh, almost every single board was wide open. So it was, it was so ripe for shooting. And there was only one terrifying army. The mm. Necromancer of Dol Guldor. Wow. So super fascinating um, board, super fascinating army matchups, and a really interesting combination of opponents. So, Very cool. Well, good job, guys. Well done on the tournament. Uh, we're pushing... Oh, almost three hours on this. This is pretty good. Nice. Pretty good. Five we game tournaments. A, I like it. We got to power through because I. So I said rules questions at the very beginning. There were three interesting uh, situations that came up. I want to uh, pose to you guys, get your take on them, and also pose to the listeners. Okay, Matt. I'm sure you have a couple of situations too, or maybe the All same. Right. Let, yeah. let's, what's the first one? So the first one, and call me a noob, but I've actually never had this happen to me. It was my game. It was Durin versus Elrond and one Rivendell Knight. Now, the situation, the question I had was uh, the, how your wear gear affects the combat. So, this is neither one of this is the combat where neither one of us struck. So, we're both fight six because Elrond and Durin. Elrond has an elven weapon. The Rivendell Knight has a lance that is not elven made. We rolled the duel. Elrond rolled a three high. Durin rolled a six. The Rivendell Knight rolled a six. Obviously, he will take the highest fight value from his matchup. So we both tie at fight, fight six. But does he get the if, does he get the benefit of the elven weapon? Yes. From Elrond in the combat, even though Elrond only rolled a three. Yes, I agree with Mitchell. I think elven made weapons are kind of like fight value. Whoever is in the fight doesn't matter whose dice highest fight value. Elven made weapon works the same way. Is my opinion on that. And I, I can look this up too, but I do believe the wording on the elven made weapon is a, a combat that has a benefit from an elven made weapon uh, gets the wins the roll off on a three plus or whatever the vice versa is on a one to four. But I think it just needs an elven made weapon in the combat, and then they benefit from all of it. Yeah, I totally agree with both you guys. I asked the question in the game because honestly, that's the first time I've I in my memory I've ever run up against that situation, and I was pulling at. Every every nook of my brain to try and think of a reason why Duran might not get his knock his uh get get himself knocked over. But that's the way yeah. we play. Elven make, weapon. I think that I think that would makes the most sense, honestly, for me. Um, I'm trying to look it up, but uh, it actually it also so in the game too. It was a moot point because we I'll chatted just read. about it. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say we chatted about it for ten seconds. I asked the question. We both looked at each other for a second. And then he remembered he had Lord of the West with Elrond, and he rolled a six with Elrond. And so it was a super moot point. Oh, okay. Um, so it, we moved pretty crap past, we moved pretty quickly past the rule, but it was something that came up. Yeah. Models using an Elven made weapon are more likely to win the dice roll to see who wins a draw in combat. A good model using an Elven made weapon will win the roll off on a three to six instead of a four to six. Should an evil model using an elven weapon be in, in that odd situation, then they will win on a one to four. If Amber. both sides are using 
elven made weapons neither receives an advantage so the way i read that is it's just contributing to the combat it's very similar to how you use fight value yep i completely agree so that was the first question my second question that i thought was interesting gotta make sure i don't mess this up because i i said three but i'm only remembering two uh it comes from the so this was on capturing control there was a uh, table that was playing. One person had control of the objectives and was losing the combats, but he was trying to opt not to back away. So he wasn't, um, mm. he wasn't trapping himself because they're spear support. These were individually fighting warriors. They're fighting by themselves. And he was attempting to not back away after losing a combat. Yep. So this has come up since the FAQ, I think last year's FAQ, uh, last February, uh, where this was never an issue, but now since the last FAQ, where the a year ago they said that you can opt not to make way. Yes. Which then, of course, traps the model in front of you, though. But you can opt out to not making way. And now, for some reason, this has come up a couple of times for me, that people think that you can opt not to back away, but just take the trap bonuses, which is incorrect. Uh, it says very specifically in the combat rules of backing away that you must back away. It says it right there. This is very clear. But the confusion is coming from that FAQ where people are confusing make way with backing away. I completely agree. And in this scenario... If you end the phase with multiple models touching, which if one model's standing on top of it, the other model would be touching. If you choose not, not to back away, and then the other person has to back away, you maintain control of that objective. So there's a huge benefit to playing that wrong. So I got it. If he had spear supports, he could choose not to make way, then forcing him to be trapped, that would activate it. But him being surrounded with an option to back away, he has to back away. And it represents, I think, just for the narrative side of it, making way is one thing. Backing away represents you just lost a duel and you're stumbling backwards. You don't get to choose not to stumble. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, think uh, the, oh, I was going to say really quick, the big thing, so Mitchell, you're spot on calling out the confusion that is potentially coming up from the FAQ. The confusion is the rules in the rule book are blatantly like clear. There's no way to misinterpret it. It says you must back away. The confusion is whether or not there's an FAQ that allows you a different way to play that. Mm -hmm. There is not. There is nothing in the FAQ, in yeah. any of the FAQs, that talks about losing a fight and backing away. Right. Only about the making away, as specifically called out because of Ingold. Ingold brought up this rule question where Ingold's special rule is people don't have to, they don't have to back away. Yes. Yeah, so. The fight. Ingold's special rule yeah. prevents you from backing away. That's the only exception to the rule in the FAQ. That's not even in the FAQ. That's, That's just FAQ. a new. That was a new profile that was released after these rules. So, yep. Yeah, and and they even FAQ'd him. But yeah. yes, they FAQ'd him, and then they also FAQ'd the spear support. Can you choose not to make way with a spear if you were a spear support, therefore trapping the guy in front of you? And I think it's unyielding combat stance. And there's a couple other models that can have that now. But I'm no. not sure. Unyielding combat stats is where if you're knocked down for any reason on a four plus, you remain standing. But, oh, um, but Ingold's, Ingold rule is a good call out. Yeah. 
maybe it's resolute single, fighter that he has. I don't know what it, what that yeah, rule is. Oh. Something. His is his is one of a kind. No other model in the game has the Ingle rule except for Smog. Okay. Smog yep. never ma- makes way. I guess yeah, this Smog. Elephant. The chariot. The chariot doesn't either. Uh, the yeah. The, there's Why a few. There's a there's a few models that don't back away. So yeah, the war beasts okay. don't. Um, and uh, Smog. Uh, I think the Iron Hills chariot. I think Matt's right on that. The Condus chariots do. Uh, okay, ironically, so I, I say only. So I will but say, Ingold, are or, yeah, Ingold's grants it to people within three inch bubble. Yeah, yeah. The special rule will clearly say who doesn't yes. have to back away and why and who else could benefit. Like it's it's blatant in a special rule, and then there's nothing in the FAQs that give any other options for people to yes. avoid. Yep, very clear. Away. Yep, very clear for me. Yep. But some confusion that's been seeing pop up once in a while now. What's your third question, Marcus? I'm totally blanking, guys. I wrote it down earlier, and I can't find it in my message thread. I had three interesting rules questions. Um, I know you texted me about uh, Durin's um, crown. Oh, yes. So I played the, um, the Cave Drakes. Cave Drakes have Gaping Maw, which instead of – it's a brutal power attack. Instead of – uh, striking normally, they can roll one dice and on a four plus, the cave drake swallows the model whole and kills him. It's an insta-kill ability. And it says models can use fate to block that wound. And if they block the wound, they're fine. But if they fail that fate, they're automatically slain. So you get one dice to prevent it. And my question was, with Durin, can I use the Crown of Kings special rule, which grants me a six plus fury save, to try and prevent the... Well, it's a twofold question. Can I use this Fury save to try and prevent the Gaping Maw and then roll a Fate save? Or can I use the Fury save at all? Or can I only use one of them? Because if I can only use one of them, I'm obviously going to use my regular Fate save, unless I don't have Fate yet. But that was the question. Can I use the Fury save at all? And if I can use the Fury save, can I use both of them? Um, and actually, I would I will credit this one as a as a little bit tighter question because um, I'll read off the gaping maw last paragraph really quick. It says fate rolls may uh, may be made against this brutal power attack as if it had caused a wound, but if a model fails to save this with fate, it will be slain. So that's where the confusion is here. But I will counter with what Durin's Crown of Kings uh, special rule says, which is. Um, if Durin suffers a wound, roll a d6. On a 6, the wound is ignored exactly as if a fate point had been spent. So this special rule counts as a fate. Uh, and okay. says it's exactly as if a fate. This is a fate, essentially. So therefore, I would say it counters and, and meets the criteria for countering the game. You know. And I would it's, say you can use both with that yes. verbiage. You I start with Fury. It's if you miss it, then you fate. go to Fate. Yeah. Okay. So two rules to potentially avoid the gaping maw. Yes, because and, same thing would happen is if uh, you did this on uh, like a, a Elrond or something. He has three fate points plus a reroll of fate. He if he fails the first one, he would just move on to the second one because he's got extra fate to save. He just needs one fate point to save it. So same thing. And you can spend any number of fate points to block a wound so long as you have fate points remaining. Yeah, it says fate rolls specifically. Fate rolls may be made, so it's rolls plural. In the in, yep, yeah. I like it. Interesting because again the Elrond thing and the Elven the Elven Lance that's not Elven made I've never run into that before 
never played a cave drake before so the kp ma as he's moving i'm like reading the special rules to try and make sure i understand this and i'm thinking through my head because durin's getting dangerously close to a to a cave drake um, yes and then obviously the, the the backing away one is so critical because as matt said you stand on top of the objective that's that's points if you can block it or deny your enemy mm-hmm. um access to it yep I have no rules questions, but I will leave you guys with a funny scenario because I always enjoy it when statistics do not play out. I won a game playing Dark Powers of Dol Guldur the other day, but in that game, in the second round, Legolas, with his deadly shot, used three might to put a wound on the Necromancer, which I thought was very silly waste of, uh, oh, no. <laughs> of three might, and proceeded to burn 14 will in order to pass a single fate. Yes. It took you 14 dice rolls to get a 4+. plus. Yes, which I think was a good use of 3 might. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, the odds of that happening. <laughs> Staggering. <laughs> uh, wow. Jeez. Was this a friendly game? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How could it not be? At that point, it's just funny. I'm like, can I borrow one of your dice? No. <laughs> No, your dice are doing just fine. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. Good, Matt, is the time we had Sauron versus all those trolls in the Belrog, and he had, I think we were up to like 46, uh, 46 wound saves with his 2 plus before I finally rolled a 1 to die. Sometimes it just goes. Wow. But Mitchell, thanks for walking us through these, man. Of course. Yeah, it's kind of awesome. interesting being the host, but I'll, I'll probably retire after this. <laughs> <laughs> Stressful. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, I have to actually pay attention now. I don't like it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's you have good to fun. pay attention with Matt talking about his dwarves that he's playing against elves. Those dwarves marching across the bridge, man, and shooting their bows. Ah, deadly. You guys texting me while I'm talking doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> Open mouth, insert foot. Yes. All right. Well, everybody. Uh, have a good one. We'll get the next episode probably out here pretty soon too. Cause we have another tournament coming up in North Carolina in February. So we'll have some few rolling out and another battle report, hopefully, but, uh, all right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks, everybody. Bye.